0: Well, I learned in 2018. Watched it in Cook Park, and I thought I was going to throw up. Like I just, it was a horrible feeling.
1: You wanted to win, but you just felt like, oh my god, if if they do win, and they haven't been there. Like, is it worth it being
0: over here? Subscribe to the GAA Podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts.
2: OTBAM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new
3: Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.
1: Good morning, happy Wednesday. Hello, how are you keeping out there? OTBM, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Mayo's Nathan Murphy, good morning. Hey Shane. And Cork's Colin Buhig. very good morning. Good morning Shane, good morning Nathan. Happy hump day, how are things? Keeping well? How are you? Uh, not too bad. Uh, Trappings League was back last night, which brought a sense of normality back to our lives I think. Mm-hmm. Sort of snuck up on me, to be honest. did actually, I uh, wasn't expecting it. I think the um, fact that Arsenal-Manchester
3: City is on tonight and, you know, it's the biggest game, the most important game of the season and then you've... Uh, traditionally, that has never been allowed to have such a big Premier League game on the same night as the Champions League and
1: uh, then lo and behold, it turns out, you know, Spurs are getting beaten again <sighs> Plus ça change Lads, it was Tottenham last night they, Yeah, they were, they were decent It was kind of one of those games that there were chances, half chances Fraser Forster save it. that needs a mention they obviously scored a goal off the back of it. Brahim Diaz heads in the rebound, but I mean, for Tottenham, it's not a terrible result, is it? Come take them back to North London and, and, and do them there. I
3: think Tottenham will be pretty pleased with that considering the team that they put out last night. Yeah. Uh, no Hjogberg through suspension. like That midfield of Winks and Saar. Uh, I was watching Paris Saint-Germain, but uh, looking at the highlights and everything I read was that they did relatively well. Yeah, But this is Tottenham at the moment. There's just a total lack of consistency. They are, at their best, a brilliant counter-attacking team, like a really brilliant counter-attacking team, but defensively, they just look too much of a shambles for an Antonio Conte side at the moment, and probably epitomised by Christian Romero, who you know, I would have in the very top tier of centre-backs in the Premier League, mm. but the last three or four games, and could well be a World Cup hangover, has just looked slightly off it, a little bit late to every challenge, like terrible, terrible tackle he got booked for last night that could easily uh, have done serious damage to the AC player Mm. that could have got him sent off. Someone got sent off a few weeks ago uh, for Tottenham against Manchester City. So there's something just not happening for them at the moment. But Spurs under Conte have always had these runs of nothingness where they don't score many goals, they don't create any chances, and next thing, they'll win five out of six. Now they're still waiting for that sort of run of win five out of six maybe it comes at the right time over the next few weeks they're still in the mix for a top four I still think at home you know packed house at Tottenham Stadium against the average
1: AC Milan side Which they are They'll feel that they should have enough to win that Yeah uh, I can't get used to calling it the Stadio Giuseppe Miazza I think it's the San Siro like getting knocked down soon as well, which is which is sad. You heard the atmosphere probably through the television last night, and it was it was buzzing when when got, got their goal, obviously. But uh, it's one of the stadiums I've never visited. Th- that's definitely been on the list. Mm. Like, you got to get never been to again. Italy,
3: so I definitely haven't been to. You've never night. been to Italy. Well, I was only there in two thousand and
1: five skiing. John Duggan's never been to Italy either.
2: No, it's, I think it's pretty much the only European
3: country I've never been to. It. I was going to say you don't done know why fair bit of commentary, but I yeah, definitely why? would like to. I,
1: I, it's just it's just never happened for me. My Italian adventure. Can One I these days? Can I admit something? Right, I'm going to admit something. I, 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 you know what? I'm going to never go. been to Donegal. No, 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 no. Of course, I've been to Donegal. Right. So before the match last night, so I watched the game at eight o'clock with my friends, uh, the AC Milan Spurs game. But um, three of us in the house, we decided, how, what can we do to to mark Valentine's Day? But in a kind of a protesting kind of way. Do you know? We're not going to sit down and watch a rom com and be all sappy with each other but we're going to just sit there and, and and the three of us just enjoy each other's company. So we ordered a Indian, got a bit of food delivered. Uh we decided we'd put on a movie that that completely is the antithesis of Valentine's Day and I said to the lads, "Don't don't judge me when I say this, okay? Because I'm 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 opening up to you lads. I said I've never seen The Godfather." Which which left the room a little bit uh in shock. So we turned on The Godfather with 5-5-5 just to to squeeze it in before the match. So last night I watched The Godfather for the first time. Of course I get the references, you know, sleeping with the fishes and Mm. give him an offer he can't refuse. I I knew all the references, but I I hadn't put it all together. Do you know what I've never heard? I've never heard of someone... Who watched The Godfather for the first
2: time at five o'clock in the day?
3: Yeah. Well, you see, that's very done the college student y, isn't this? Yeah. I've done like, the math. This is what I was thinking when I came in here today because the air conditioning is broken and the fact we're sitting so close again. It smells, is smells is a bit insane. like my college apartment, but that is the most. I'm back in college, I have no commitments in life whatsoever. I'm going to sit down and watch The Godfather. See, see, I haven't seen it in about 25 years, so it's that thing where. And I'm not one of these people who has a good memory for lines from movies yeah, or. Yeah, fair. Uh, very precise detail So I thought you'd be more disgusted by
1: that. So uh, I'm, I'm
2: quite relieved. I actually was expecting a, a worse reaction. I haven't seen a lot of obvious things. Don't worry. I never judge. Oh, like really? The Wire, The Sopranos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. Gladiator. Never seen oh, any of them. Gladiator. Never seen any of them. I think The Gladiator was on one time in the background at a party, and that was it. But the, uh, the Godfather. Oh, oh, uh, shit party. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> yeah. it was two in the morning. I um, had The Godfather. Al Pacino was such a lovely, softly spoken actor. Yes. And then became this completely different person. He had this air the about 80s him. onwards. But even but, in The
1: Godfather, he transforms into a different person. during Uh Mostly, uh, definitely in number two. Right. Have you seen
2: No, two? <laughs> no,
4: no, no. I haven't <laughs> seen two yet.
1: I've, I've heard two is very
4: good. Do three
2: is as good, possibly better. Is <laughs> three Three is supposed to be not as well, good? Well, two is where De Niro pops up. Right. But then you lose Brando. So.
3: There's, a, there's your five o'clock this evening.
2: Yeah, well I knew Brando was gone because
3: Don Corleone Started about half four you'll Australia. get Arsenal, Manchester City in straight afterwards <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe that's a good, that's a good it's idea Very to sad see. Valentine's Day it's got to be said it, it was Man about town like you Shane I th- would have thought there was a ah, bit of demand Not at all No, Jesus not the There was a bit of romance in the Buhigg household
2: that's a newly year. married <laughs> There was Yeah, definitely uh, There was There um, was Oh, when are KBC leaving Ireland? Oh, we need to sort that out. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. the night. Yeah, really. Oh. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> see Marcus <laughs> Rashford's Instagram.
1: Instagram post last night. No, oh my word! He put up this video of like I mean, his entire gaff was like he was playing sultry music. The gaff was covered in in rose. Like I mean, when I say covered, I mean like it, it, he paid, it, it, paid someone to come in and do up his gaff. Of course he did. Yeah, sadly, and he could well afford it, Marcus Rashford. But uh, yeah, Instagram was not a place for any Singleton's last night. You're just like, are you yeah. all right? No, oh, I'm grand. Walking through town, looking at all the uh, confused uh, men buying buying flowers. Every second person had flowers on the streets of Dublin last night. I'm sure you two lads were. were two of them, but I just uh, went home and felt sick. Do you still do Valentine's Day?
2: Well, Valentine's Day happens whether I do it or not. Do you celebrate so. it? Do you celebrate it? Do <laughs> do you you if some course, people don't yes. celebrate major do holidays, ask? do you celebrate Valentine's yeah, Day? Yeah, do you. Do you? Why wouldn't I? Well, I, we asked Jared a very question yesterday and he was almost offended at the notion of celebrating oh, it with a long marriage. But I think you much know, her softer than he lets on. He you is, know? Of course he's, he's hard
1: on. exterior is easy to crack After on the He's not going to admit day. it like, out loud, to be honest. Well, I thought, like, Nathan was uh, able to admit it, which is a great sign. Yeah, openness. You, you weren't watching Spurs, Nathan. You, you decided no, I watched PSG Bayern.
3: I PSG Bayern, uh, um, the 10-year-old uh, has the remote control in our house and it's all about PSG.
1: Oh, really? Oh, absolutely. A PSG fan. Yes, or a messy fan.
3: Well, a, uh, a messy fan uh, was a Genie Wijnaldum fan. So wherever Genie went, he went. Now Genie's obviously gone on uh, to not so greater things um, and a devastating injury at Roma. But mm. yeah, there's still a lot of love there for um, Paris Saint Germain, uh, which they didn't. Uh, they didn't pay back on Valentine's Day from last night. It was absolutely atrocious. They were you, yet again. You watch Paris Saint Germain and think, how has this squad been assembled at mm. such expense? to be so poor Now Mbappe was injured and they got a lot better when he came on for the last 25 minutes yeah. and suddenly there was a bit of pace for attack but the first hour they barely if ever threatened inside the final third they couldn't get Neymar and Messi into the game at all uh, Neymar looks like his legs are gone completely Right. every time he gets it he's thrown himself to the ground not in a diving way in a I can't do anything else except just try and draw a foul out of somebody but mm. uh, and you do look at the quality behind that again and go, like, it's such a lopsided team. They had a 16 year old playing last night. Yeah. Youngest ever player to play and start in the knockout stages. Uh, Warren Zaire Emery. 16 years of age. Did okay, but Byron were far and away the better team. Uh, really should have won um, convincingly. Now, there was a very tight call at the end uh, for an offside, offside yeah. for Mbappe, but Byron would have wanted to be sort of. up I think Such was their dominance in the game Completely controlled it Uh, Lacked probably a little bit as well in front of goal But Much like the game last night These matches are all about the second legs It's don't get battered in the first leg Keep yourself alive until the second leg And it felt like that with Bayern They were so superior to Paris Saint-Germain But almost were afraid to go and fully commit to it Mm. In case they got stung Um, But yeah it's it's hard not to watch Paris Saint Germain. They've, they've lost five games already this year alone. So they're not having it all their own way domestically. Mm-hmm. There's no rhythm there, and maybe maybe Mbappe being fully fit in a couple of weeks' time changes it. You would have to think so. He's arguably the best player in the world right now, and he and did change it in the last twenty minutes. But
2: I, I you cannot see Paris Saint Germain winning the Champions League this year. No. Neymar confirming a dressing room bust-up as well at Marquinhos and the sporting director after the defeat to Monaco at the weekend. Almost that rosy. Like, i rosy, but it never felt that anything was really rosy at PSG, and yeah, they just never. somehow, despite themselves, you kind of well. expect that, don't you? Uh, like they got to the 2020 Champions League final, you'd forget that, you know, last yeah. by the odd goal to Bayern. Yeah, and like they were that close to doing what MRLs wanted to do, and how do you won that you Champions League? scored the goal then as well. It, he did.
1: And that Sorry, could have been a different thing. Kings, so you, you just expect a PSG battle job in the knockout today? Just to be fair, of the Champions League, I know you say they got to the final a couple of years ago. they, no, the, they, they actually did. So no, they did. No, <laughs> I know they did. You but. sit here and claim that they got to the final. I don't know. If I, that don't happened. know. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Uh, Kingsley come on not celebrating what? Like he's in Paris, I suppose he's a Paris boy. Uh, ah. do you understand it or are you, you're like ah just celebrate lad no you need to be
3: near in testimonial level to not celebrate yeah. it happened at the weekend Emerson Palmieri scored for West Ham against Chelsea mm. and it was only when he didn't celebrate oh like, yeah oh yeah he played with
2: Chelsea Yeah, come on, like, come
3: on. you were you, there's Chelsea supporters at that match going now I know he, I think he has a Champions League medal yeah. uh, he was involved in the squad uh, that night but I
1: think you have to celebrate don't you like also you're
3: Emerson Palmieri you never
1: score yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, let, 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 the, let the emotions out. Don't Pleasure denial is not, a, is not a, a thing to engage in. I think it was good marketing by that Emerson. There's the line. Yeah. <laughs> I
2: think it was good marketing by Emerson because he probably is aware that people definitely forgot that he played for Chelsea. So it was like my god <laughs> yeah. celebration here would inform everyone that I used to play, to play for this oh, club. Champions League winner. Yeah. 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 I wonder what he
1: was doing. Um, Nathan, you were, or you have been, watching the new Netflix, Golf Doc, which is out today, full full swing. Full swing, yeah. Uh, I don't know if all
3: eight episodes are out today, or if just if it's the first episode and it's week by week. But yeah, I've watched all eight episodes. What, what's the review? It's grand ah. in that most Irish way of describing something as grand, and it's a semi-insulting. But the problem with, and I think you probably felt the same with the tennis documentary, yeah. is who are they trying to appeal to with this? So I love my golf. I will watch. Nerdishly, as much golf as I can every single week. And I found it a bit dull. There's little nuggets and behind the scene bits that you go, I never knew that happened. So they're inside the clubhouse at a gust at a station, like, oh, I never knew that was a bit of the layout. Or they're there at lunch and. Rory and Ram are sitting together on a couple of occasions like I wouldn't have known that Rory and Ram were quite that close yeah, yeah even the sense at times of Rory being the Alpha in the room every time when they're sitting at lunch and players are almost afraid and is he, yeah and they sit absolutely he is but as to how it would attract a new audience mm-hmm. I'm I'm really not sure the way it works is very again it's a tried and tested formula that worked brilliantly for Drive to Survive, but it yeah. doesn't work for other sports where they focus on one, one and a half players per episode. episode. You're so not the target episode audience one. Still, then. But I don't know what the target audience is. Like, I was sitting down last week to watch the first episode of my wife and she was asleep after about half an hour. Like, there was, there's almost too much golf in it in a way, but it's not given enough context. So there's too many shots shown. It's obviously edited brilliantly. So it just so happens they end up following all the major winners. Right. But obviously what they're doing is they're picking them up on the Friday or Saturday of the tournament and then yeah. talking to them afterwards, editing in as if it's before the tournament. Like Golf has a perception problem anyways. not helped when the opening shot is Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth on a private jet betting each other $1,000 if one of them can guess a card from a pack of cards. Oh, my word. So there are interesting parts to it. Uh, there's some of the lesser-known guys, the guy, Joel Damon, who's a regular PGA Tour guy. has a very interesting backstory. He had cancer about a decade ago. His mother died when he was very young. No great confidence in himself. He's a very interesting background. Tony Finau, you know, really came from very little, has a half a dozen kids. He brings out and tour with him the whole time. Does he, yeah. In the best form of his career. His story is, is quite interesting. Brooks Kepka again, in a very superficial way, was quite probably a bit more fascinating than I would have expected in that he's in a real struggle with his game at the moment and like there was the real juxtaposition of he's sitting in this huge mansion he's about to get married and his wife-to-be is basically showing him all her various different wedding outfits and he's sitting there in this giant house sort of totally disinterested thinking about his swing and like oh, barely no. acknowledging and all he's thinking about is how his game is in bits like live is going on in the background but while there's plenty of sort of talk about it. There's not no focus on a huge amount of new detail and it all builds up to Rory. I kind of kept watching because I wanted to see uh, Connor sketches put out a piece yesterday. um, I'm not sure if Connor's actually seen it but it's so close to actually what happens in it where they have Tiger come in and go hi Tiger Woods and that's the only thing you see and it's like that. You see like two seconds of Tiger but Rory's in each episode for about five seconds but then the last episode is all about Rory and there are some bits in that as to say, behind the scenes on live and his influence. Now, he, he said last week that he was, his agreement, he initially wasn't going to take part. His agreement was basically, I will talk to you at tournaments, but there's nothing about my family. You're not yeah, coming right. into my house. Any of that. So you see a, a couple of conversations. There's one bit that is probably the most revealing part of the entire piece where He's getting a massage in a room where five or six of the golfers are getting a massage and they're talking about American football and Josh Allen comes up and one of the other players goes, oh, Josh Allen's a Phil guy. And uh, Rory just throws out, you know, Mickelson. Oh, right. And uh, they all start laughing and uh, it's, <laughs> I bet you they'll leave that in, yeah which yeah. was just... Yeah, a, a you've bit illustrated bit
2: about four or five different bits that's but interesting there. Like, is, but each of, these
3: are, each of these episodes are 45 minutes long and there's eight episodes. So it's, like, it's possible. As I said, I think there's, an, there's enough that if you love your golf, you'll sit and you'll watch it and mm-hmm. you'll learn it. a couple of little bits and pieces. But
2: I totally understand expectations the, are way too high for these things now. Well, I totally understand with the drive is five people try to turn this into a franchise. Mm. It makes yeah, complete yeah. sense to do that. Oh, and yeah. I, was, I was extremely excited for the tennis version, just as Nathan was for the golf version. And listening to you talk about the golf one there, the tennis one is very similar. So in the tennis one... The reaction one, was similar, in fact. Very, because I was really on it. I was like, uh, and then in the first episode, they just do Nick Kyrgios, which is understandable. But the problem is, in the tennis one, they were without the seven most famous players in the world. Mm. And in my books, Kyrgios is the eighth most famous, so they had to go with him. And a bit like the Rory and Tiger examples there was like Rafa Nadal and Djokovic were seen as these almost mythical figures who wouldn't engage directly, but yeah. they were always there. They were always present. Like the, 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 I also know, thought that's the, the Kyrgios
3: it. episode, it didn't feel like a very fair reflection on him. He came across as, well, firstly, quite dull, which maybe he is behind the bravado. There was no great sense of him being the bad guy. Like there's bits again like this where he's sitting at dinner with his family where you're kind of looking at the dynamic and probably reading way too much into it. Mm. But the problem both of these have compared to Drive to Survive. Drive to Survive wasn't built around the drivers. There was bits and pieces of the drivers. Like it was Gunter, It was the third parties. It was the conversations sort of off the record between people who weren't actually competing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I sort of thought in golf maybe there'd be somebody on the PGA tour who would become a star out of this or an agent or somebody who was revealing. But they also have that problem, as in the tennis Of talking head of which I would love to be one of those talking heads getting paid massive amounts of money to sit there and go So they come on they go, So in golf, it's four rounds of eighteen holes, seventy two holes, and halfway through there's a cut thirty six holes, they get rid of half the field. And those guys don't get paid. And that's failure for those guys.
1: They this do, is this
2: audition. They this do. is your audition for the next year. So it's explaining what golf is. They do the same in tennis. They explain the sets. Incorrectly explain but them as well. Do you want to audition for Totally incorrectly explain them. No, because that's the other thing as well. With the golf thing, they really ham it up, right? With the tennis one, it's very yeah. kind of explained in a very kind of objective way. But they're also saying it's the first to six... In every set, but that's not always the case. Like, oh, it's you true. have to win by two. If you're explaining, you're losing. You know it. what I mean? <laughs> they <It's like, laughs> don't even it. do it properly. You mean? To it just goes to a tiebreak. They never explained the fact that if it's 5 all 6-5 ain't going to yeah, do it. Yeah. So they, and then, so they're actually going to this new audience. So who, a bit like Nathan, like, who are they actually going to? What did you want from the Golf Fund? What did you go in with the expectations? I, I
3: had very low expectations of us uh, I, I sort of thought it might end up a little bit like this because yeah. there's no benefit to the players to be overly revealing. Like, and golf is appealing to a white male, unbelievably corporate audience. What money are they getting for doing it, though. It's a, it's a clean-cut image kind of sport. So why would you hmm. go deeper than that? Well, you look at, and my expectations for the Six Nations one are unbelievably low to start with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but based on this and the fact that we're already hearing this, you know, the various different organisations aren't happy with the amount,
1: they're only getting, what, 100 grand? Yeah each organization of this Rory McIlroy you know, why would you Rory is the Don Vito Corleone of it <laughs> just going to well, throw in a few Rory, references there Rory um, that was the godfather Rory had said hadn't,
3: uh, wasn't initially going to take part but was convinced that this wouldn't make sense and it really wouldn't make sense right. if Rory wasn't even there at the end and Main it sort character. of ties it up nicely but
2: for Drive Five, there was no expectation and then suddenly people were like this is absolutely incredible
3: yeah. the, the, this is, the, like, and you oh, the the Drive to Survive now as well isn't yeah, it yeah, that that next week but even Drive to Survive when you so again that's those first couple of series were Exceptional. And then it tied in couldn't have tied in better with the fact that you get the greatest one of the greatest endings to the World Drivers Championship of all time. Mm. But that series of drivers survived then about that season is quite dull. Yeah. The because first you're waiting. The yeah.
2: You're waiting for what really happened behind the scenes and it just never comes. Yeah. <laughs> no.
1: It's no insight. It's no background insight.
2: At least from all of this, we've one more uh, fan now of tennis because JoJo started watching uh, break points. Oh, yes. Got that, into that, it. You well, know, that's,
1: that's, that's what, what you are, want. Yeah. So, if anything,
2: that's a success. Yeah, JoJo so nodding away. I would
3: thought. the way I would say with the golf one. So Shane Lowry did a video for the European Tour down in Clara and sort of given his background. That is a far more interesting. That was very good yeah. insight. And again, Shane gave what he wanted to give in that. Like mm. there's there's no part of this that's appearing on air
2: that no people haven't agreed to. Yeah. that's true. That's that's, I, I have a big fear here. Why? So We're not going to get
1: time uh, to do what we want to do. Well, let's we, go for it. Yeah, let's do it. For, uh, uh, so we, we're going to talk more Spurs, of course. We've, we've Martin Lipton on the way from 8 o'clock. We've we have Keith Wood from, from 20 past 8, virtual Sandy with John Duggan. We're going to do Kathleen's uh, Women's National Team Power Rankings, which uh, has kept her awake all night. And Kevin Moran, the former Waterford Hurley, will join us as well from, from 10 past 9. But, uh, Colin, you mentioned it. So a couple of weeks ago, was it last week? Or the week last before? week. Last week. Myself and yourself picked our Manchester United Premier League era Top ten players. So mm. this wasn't a starting eleven. This was just our top ten players in any position, uh, in order. By the way, from uh, when football started in 1992, and uh, we got a little bit of criticism for for our teams. Certainly, Paul Sculter number one for me uh, led to a little bit of criticism. We've gone for the Liverpool teams, and the three of us have picked our. Liverpool. I haven't seen either of your teams, so oh. I don't know how similar or dissimilar our teams are going to be. Who wants to? Who wants to put their hand up first here? Go, ahead. go on, go on, Shane. You're the host. Ah, here, right. We'll, uh, Why do I have to start? take it down? Okay, there's my team in front of you. So I've gone for just for the people uh, listening this morning, as opposed to viewing. Fernando Torres a ten. You've gone for Steven Gerrard twice. No, oh, sorry, that's that's uh, a that
0: <laughs> it's so good <laughs> they put him in twice.
1: I, I have my I have the picks I sent on right right in front of me here. So that's clearly not the team. <laughs> have I got you me. gone for Steven Gerrard number one? Steve McManaman is number oh, okay. is number nine. Uh, yeah. Number eight. I don't know if the rest of the numbers are affected. I don't think they are. Number eight, Virgil van Dijk. Number seven, Sammy Hubia. <laughs> number six, Luis Suarez. Number five, Mo Salah. Four, Jabi Alonso And then the top three Three, Michael Owen Two, Robbie Fowler And one, Stephen G Let's do the other two now And then we'll go back to them Go on, so I'll go there
2: Alright, so mine For those who can't see Number ten, Alison Becker Number nine, Sammy Hoopia Number eight, Sadio Mane Injured last night, didn't play Number seven, Virgil van Dijk And then six, two, three For me was very difficult mm. So six, Michael Owen Five, Fernando Torres Four, Robbie Fowler Three, Mo Salah, Two, Luis Suarez And number one, Stephen G Okay,
1: no arguments there so far. Nathan, you're at 10?
3: Yeah, I have gone with 10, Xabi Alonso. 8, 9 was Allison, 8, Sadio Mane. 7, Jamie Carraher. 6, Jordan Henderson. Oh. 5, Robbie Fowler. 4, Virgil van Dijk.
2: 3, Mo Salah. 2, Steven Jordan. I've gone with Luis Suarez as my number one. Suarez is there for three and a half years only. That's the impact that guy had. So I think, 14. I think this is a different one to the
3: Manchester United one because on Manchester United you're generally able to judge on a similar level and that they've all almost all of them have won titles now maybe what they did in Europe should bring them to a a higher level whereas for Liverpool there's players with great longevity who maybe didn't win what they felt they should deserve to win but I guess in both Gerrard and Carragher's case they still won a hell of a lot of everything Mm. except the Premier League title. Uh, Luis Suarez as number one I understand the argument for Gerrard and like it's a strong argument for Gerrard in terms of his brilliance, his longevity, uh, the fact that which I always find interesting. If you talk to the players of the Kenny Dalglish era, mm. almost all of them will say Stephen Gerrard was Liverpool's greatest ever player, which I often find quite surprising. I I never had a great love for Gerrard. He was obviously one of the greatest players for big moments. Like he relished. The biggest moments, like the goal in the 2006 FA Cup final. The more you watch it, it's one of the most insane goals you'll ever see. But <laughs> nearly forty yards out, yeah. Surely the last knackered. kick of the game, he was and exhausted and he just uh, his technique it, it, helped him out. It's an insane quality. How can you Suarez above Gerrard? Because Suarez. So I've been covering the Premier League for probably fifteen, sixteen years, and that season Suarez had where Liverpool went very close to the title is probably the best individual season I've seen since then in how he elevated a side. The two that stand out are him and Gareth Bale in those couple of years. They were simply unplayable. Mm. That was a, a, I would say, a a decent Liverpool team that he brought towards greatness. And you knew every week, every week, he was going to do it. I think in talent alone, that season was one of the great... did he though? Like Liverpool's greatest, and here now you end up in a hammering Stephen Gerrard type scenario. <laughs> Tell Liverpool's best in Liverpool's best seasons when Gerrard was there. Generally, somebody else was the best player on the team. Whether it was Suarez that season, Fernando Torres, the influence of Xabi Alonso when they got to the Champions League final. There's no doubt. Listen, Gerrard is number two on the list here. Mm. Uh, I just always find it very hard when I think of Liverpool in the Premier League not to go with Suarez because he was just unplayable. He got to a level in the Premier League that season that few players of any club have got to mm. individually.
1: That's Jordan Henderson is in there, Nathan.
3: Well, anyone who doesn't have Jordan Henderson on this li- list has a complete lack of understanding of football oh, and importance oh, sorry. to football. We're not all so football it men. would be it it would be insane not to put Roy Keane on the Manchester United list. Like Jordan Henderson has been as important for Liverpool as Roy Keane has been for Manchester United. Nah no he absolutely has been you can sorry there's a definite argument as to their greatness as a player and if you're doing an all-time Premier League list Roy Keane is well ahead of Jordan Henderson you just have to look at the record of Jordan Henderson there was a spell of four years when Henderson was playing midfield Liverpool lost three games when he's not there you even saw him look at him Monday night when he's back in the team the legs are obviously going he can't do it as consistently as he could his leadership his drive and his quality like this comment that you know Alex Ferguson made at one stage but I've not been able to run properly these things have hung over him he's the most underestimated player there has been of the last decade by far he is as pivotal as anybody to Liverpool's success now he needed great players around him was he the greatest player in the middle of them he had Salah he had Van Dijk he had Alisson he had two unbelievable full backs he had Sadio Mane but he was the glue in the middle of it all and it's his decline he is the one that is going to be most difficult to replace for Liverpool who have
1: you left out though there
0: there
3: everything Jurgen Klopp tried to do was built around him that Gagan Press that go 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 as John Giles describes it was built on Jordan Henderson being able to cover that ground and in every big game when you think back to the matches against Manchester City Chelsea, Manchester United he was almost always one of the best players on the pitch so I would have no qualms whatsoever about putting Jordan
2: Henderson in there in fact I was even considering him putting him a bit higher oh. he, was, he was 14th on my list um I think Jurgen Klopp is the making of him. We I think, only I think 10, yeah. the only thing that suffered uh, that Henderson suffers from is that he had a slow enough start to his career. At yeah, Liverpool yeah, yeah, when yeah. Kenny Dalglish signed him, and then he was unfortunately constantly compared to his then teammate Steven Gerrard. Yeah, and then, when, and then him, when, he, when he was at Sunderland, he was this technically gifted midfielder, almost almost in a kind of number tennis mould, and then got deeper and deeper. The higher he went. In the levels there was players around him that were better, and then it was when Gerrard left, and someone had to stand up, mm. and then Clap coming in pretty much no, at that exact time after left. after
3: Rodgers. One of the made key him. reasons I Liverpool think didn't him. win the league in 2014 was Stephen was Jordan Henderson getting sent off against Manchester City and being suspended for the final three games of the season. Sorry. And there was a
2: better version of Henderson that came after that. Well, it was, that's but, that's, but even he, then, he was so it
3: wasn't just when Gerard left. You but you have Mike alone in your team, left No, and sorry, your top ten. Is it a recency bias when? Like, McManaman's brilliance, so many people would feel of that era, he was one of the most talented English footballers yeah, around. Yeah. And Michael Owen, obviously, burst onto the scene, is a golden boot winner at 18. I just struggle to find in terms
2: of his actual impact. Is
1: it because he joined United? No,
2: I, I, I... There was such a long time afterwards. It, it was, was a long time afterwards. afterwards. Two well, I definitely...
3: Uh, he would admit himself, like, you know,
2: Michael Owen, when we'd talk
3: in terms of love of Liverpool supporters His legacy Yeah, he doesn't have that because he went to Manchester United and see, McManaman loses a bit of that as well because of the way three. he ended up leaving the club
1: why would you have him three above Mo Salah why not why not above Mo Salah you don't have Xabi Alonso there Colm well, hold on now, Mike Lloyd, right, first of all. Right? <laughs> oh, hold on no, defend no, defend it, defend I,
2: I do want to hear, because I, I had him really high, and I really struggled with yeah, I, I had put, I, I where did you have a, him. I put him middle of the, middle of the list, but I had attempted, okay. where did I put him? You had yeah, sixth six. So I, I was going to put him about four, right? Ballon d'Or winner. Yeah, right. fact. And also from 1997 to 1999, he did his hamstring against Leeds at Ellen Road and that was pretty much the beginning of the end because he kind of overplayed at that age. Mm. Remember when he played, came on against Wimbledon at Setters Park, Kenny Cunningham played in that game. Yeah. And I had never seen pace, raw pace like it, with the arguable exception of Brazilian Ronaldo. I had never seen yeah. such pace and direct play. And there was the game at St. James's Park against Newcastle when he absolutely skinned the defenders, put it in. He had that strange kind of outside the right... Chip Dink finished into the far corner from, for those two years in particular. And then the two years afterwards, from about 99 to 01, he was a lesser version of himself. But there was that famous game against Arsenal in the FA Cup to win the final in yeah. Cardiff. Blistering pace, incredible finishing, and basically impossible to stop. And really, what was the end of one was himself with the hamstrings. Other than that, you're talking about a potentially multiple Ballon d'Or winning striker. He had everything he wanted I as a centre believe- of ballers. I
1: can't believe you've left, left him out.
3: Oh no, I think if Michael Owen had stayed fully fit, like you're potentially talking about one of Liverpool's greatest ever players. And there's no way he would have ever gone near Manchester United yeah, because they would never would have uh, let him go. It just felt at that time there was a real inconsistency to Liverpool. I think all of these players had a big impact in rising the team above their level. And yeah, in 2001, when they won five trophies, he was a... A big part of that, and he was there, thereabouts. I was definitely undecided about sort of eight, nine, ten, and even with Javi Alonso, there's a bit of Javi Alonso. There's a beauty to Javi Alonso of. Yeah. Um you just want there him is. there but actually there is
2: Colin, is very is be- tempted is because of that beauty
3: it, is the stage. I had him as 10th but I was, I was tempted to drop him only I'd, sent, only I'd sent it in already I don't think he was I don't think he's a top 4 player ben I think ben he fan. was a beautiful footballer there's no doubt about that uh, and would Liverpool have won the Champions League final in 2005 without him coming in and sort of freeing maybe Steven nope. Gerrard probably not but I don't know if he just did it consistently I thought you'd be a Xabi Alonso,
1: Alonso
2: man. Love Xabi Alonso, absolutely my type of player. But the one argument against him for me was that I think he got better when he left Liverpool with Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. I think he became an even better player. And I'm trying to pick players here that absolutely peaked at did Liverpool. Did you
1: both have Torres in?
2: Yes. No,
3: I didn't have Fernando oh, did you Torres in No, I think oh, Torres burned brightly. I think he was a... I was going to say a score of great goals rather than a great goal scorer. He he struggled for consistency at times, uh, blew very hot and cold, and didn't in the way that Salah at his best, almost like Salah this year. He struggled to impact on games. Mm. If he wasn't scoring, there would be a lot of matches where, you know, one of the famous games where he scored twice against Chelsea in injury time, and games like that where he actually wouldn't do very much. And then out of nothing, yeah. he's got himself a couple of goals. He was devastatingly brilliant in periods. But I think if you're looking back over the last you, thirty years, is he a top ten? Like it's a remarkable thing the way Liverpool have consistently had their gone term. from Robbie yeah, Fowler yeah. through to Michael Owen. <laughs> little gap. And then you have... Torres,
2: Suarez, Salah. This was tougher same. than the United one, wasn't At 100% it? 100% thought for Liverpool have the, the collection of the best forwards in Premier League yeah. history yeah. easily. Like We haven't even touched on Sadio Mane yet. The one thing about Torres, I do think he suffers from the perception of him post-Liverpool. Mm. And I think people really do forget years. when he signed in 2007, that first season he scored 24 Premier League goals. Mm. And up until about 2009, do you remember just around the 2010 World Cup when he got injured? And I think his last great moment for Liverpool was, funnily enough, against Chelsea in that November yeah. that he moved to Chelsea in, in the January when he's for that great goal curled into the far corner. I think w- when you're talking about technically gifted strikers, Torres is way down the list. There's better players than him played for Liverpool. Mm. But I think he maximised the ability that he had and had a phenomenal partnership with Stephen Gerrard. Did you both have Hoopia in? Yes. No. It, not I did, anyway. I think Sammy Hoopie was a very, very good defender, but if we're talking. I had Carragher and took Carragher out because I remember Carragher saying that Hoopia was, was the better player than him. So yeah. I said, oh, if Carragher says it, then he won't mind me taking him out of the top 10. Yeah, we'll admit it. Um,
1: let us yeah, know what you think in the they're. comments Yeah, what's what are your Liverpool top 10 I, th- I find that difficult I have to say more difficult than the United one no said, like, I, I, I,
3: I think because you are judging us so you're having to put Carraher and Gerrard Alonso up against players who've won Premier League titles yeah 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 there's definitely, like, the, this Liverpool team have been by f- far and away Liverpool's best team yeah. of the Premier League generation so you know, I I was close to putting Trent in to putting Andy Robertson in <sighs> that
2: would have been too much Yeah, too like, much recency bias Oh, well, I haven't seen a player like Trent Alexander-Arnold. That's what I mean. Andy no, Robertson no, no, is Liverpool's... I haven't seen like, a player, Liverpool's
3: I greatest ever eleven was sort of set in stone for a long time, whereas now, you know, Alisson, Trent, Robertson,
2: Van Dijk, Henderson, Salah, Mane are I'll all probably pushing this, for it. This it's like the Irish rugby team. Just before we go to yep. Bart Lipton and the ads, <clears> our own Darius Smith-Nocton, uh, who's on Workplace and did us at the moment an internship, yep. he has also got involved. Okay. And I just want to highlight that he's included Pepe Reina in his list <sighs> at number 10. Darius. no Allison. no Allison. I mean if you've Ah. got to pick a goalkeeper pick the current goalkeeper I didn't pick Allison. I didn't pick any he was a very
1: likeable man likeable man it's like the opposite of Mike Yeah, Jersey Dudek (laughs) throw him in Robbie Keane a few of the commenters were saying this morning (laughs) let us know in the comments who else you would have included in your Liverpool so it's top 10 players of the Premier League year but you have to do it in order don't cop out put them 10 to 1 and uh, let us know in the comments uh, so it is four minutes past eight on this morning's OTB on Wednesday's OTBM, brought to you as always live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day we'll be back in just a second talking Spurs with Martin Lipton
5: you're listening <laughs> to
3: OTB AM
1: five minutes past eight on this Wednesday morning's OTBM. delighted to have you with us with myself and Nathan and delighted to have Martin Lipton on the line this morning with us as well morning Martin Good morning. Uh, so, I one the defeat for, for Spurs last night uh, to AC Milan in the first leg of their Champions League knockout game. I mean, all the way to the final in 2019, Martin, and there were plenty of comebacks in that in that uh, run as well, so you just have to do it all again.
6: Yeah, I mean, they were very ordinary last night. I thought they, until the last 10 minutes, they were probably worth a draw. In the end, they got away with a 1-0 defeat. Um, the lack of conviction about the performance was clear from start to finish. Poor goal to concede Oh, Force was a bit unlucky, actually, because he made a great uh, double save, actually, but they weren't very good, and over the 90 minutes, they got away with
1: it. Seems like a very basic thing to say when you're away from home in a, in a first leg of a Champions League knockout game, keep it tight for the first 10, 15, 20 minutes. Don't concede, what? but like, <laughs> you, like they, they, they through that rule out the, out the book straight away, it was a disappointing goal to concede.
6: It, it was, it was a poor goal. I mean, the good thing was that they actually then were the better team, I think, for the rest of that half. they Without ever, I don't think, looking like scoring. Um, and that's a credit to particularly the two young boys in midfield, in Skip and, and Saar, because there was a huge expectation or huge responsibility on them in a game that they'd not played uh, a match of that stature before. And I thought they did very, very well. Saar, in particular, looks a real player. Um but overall, the performance was was, was poor. I think Romero hasn't played well all season. When he's worn a white shirt, he look, looked quite good in blue and white stripes. Um, less good in his first shirt. He hasn't. And again, he was asleep at the start for the first goal. Then out jumped uh, Dyer. Should have maybe got a bit closer to stop the initial shot. But the deflection led to the goal. And but if you look at it, there was a free man at the back post as well. They really weren't weren't great. I think Perisic struggled. To to impact on the game, uh, and, and I said genuinely, and genuinely, they were they were pretty lucky to get away with a one nil.
1: You look at that team, like you mentioned, the, the the young lads in the middle of that pitch, like Bintanke injured and Hoiberg suspended as well. Uh, Saur in particular, we should touch on Martin because what is he twenty years of age? It was only his sixth appearance for Spurs in any competition. So to be thrust into a game at the San Siro like that and and do as well as he did was was quite the achievement.
6: Yeah, I mean, physically he's pretty impressive, isn't he? He's athletic, he's powerful, uh, he looks like he can, he can think his way through a game. He, he looks like a smart boy. That extra year he had in France, playing now and again uh, in, Serie a, so in Liga, and probably helped him. If he just played in the reserves at Spurs, um, it would have been a problem for him. I think clearly there's a football player there uh, and he's still a very young boy. Skip has been around the scene a bit longer but it was still a big, a big test and a big ask of them both. And I think that, that those were the two that passed. The others uh, probably failed in truth.
3: There have been too many false dawns when it comes to midfielders for Tottenham. Going on for oh, probably a decade at this stage. I was just thinking back, the first game I ever commented on for off the ball was a North London derby. Thomas Trzyski scored after about 10 seconds. And I was looking, in midfield that day were Nabil Bentaleb and Sandro. And then... Ryan Mason came in very quickly and thought maybe Mason and Bentele will be the future for the next 10 years and then Dembele came in and always felt like he was on the cusp of greatness. There's been a, a kind of 18 months, every 18 months, a constant change in central midfielders and it just seems like none of them have ever got to that real elite level. When you look at, at Saar or maybe even Skip if you've got a run of games, do they have that sort
6: of potential to become proper mainstays of a Tottenham midfield? Well, with Spurs you never know. I would say that Dembele for two years was probably the best midfielder in the Premier League. Uh, it was just he he became that too late in his career, and then, then injuries started to take their toll, and and he and he, he wasn't at that level for very long. But he was he was excellent. Likewise, when they had uh, Wanyama there for a while, he was he was pretty decent. But you, I think that Saar could be a real player, and he looks as though he might have more in his game um, than Heuberg. But it's very easy to say that after one match or two matches. Let's see where you are after after 30 or 40. Hoberg has, has actually been a very consistent performer for Spurs. If you remember, he, he's the reason they were playing last night against Milan with his goalie in the last minute against Marseille. Otherwise, they'd have been playing in, an, in a different week. They'd have gone through, but in second place in the group. So, they, Hoberg's the reason they got home advantage. They missed him badly yesterday because he gives them extra drive uh, on the ball and off it. Uh, so, it, But you would imagine that it will be him and, and Saar now for the rest of the season as the first two. Uh, and that gives you, I a, a guess, a grid of um, um, athleticism and power as well as uh, as, as, as an experience. So you've got that fusion, uh, but it's far too early to expect Sar to be, you know, eight out of ten every game. He's he's still a young boy. What did you make, uh, Martin, of, of Antonio
1: Antonio Cade's comments before the game? So, of course, the Leicester four-one defeat last weekend, very disappointing, and talked about his players sometimes failing to cope with pressure. Which, which, I mean. Seem quite pointed to come from a manager, but maybe that's what the Spurs players need at the moment.
6: I think he's trying to think of what works. Let's do some shock therapy because um, they were pitiful on on Saturday, having been so impressive the previous week against City. Uh, but then you look at the guy, the team that played against City, and it wasn't the team that played last night because of, of a variety of factors. You know, no goalkeeper, and neither the two midfielders. So from having a full-strength full full strength squad, they suddenly got six players out um, from a, arguably one of the biggest matches of the season. So maybe he thought that one or two of them were feeling a bit sorry for themselves and he wanted to sort of just spark a reaction. I think that, that, that may have been it. Or he just felt, actually, someone's got to tell the truth, but when it comes to it, too often they swallow. He's not wrong.
3: It, it must be incredibly frustrating for him as much as he has to take some responsibility for that lack of consistency and he's almost talking about his players there just sort of being mentally weak at times they go on these runs of fixtures where they Kane and Son are firing a fun cylinders and then there's a, a massive setback they, they've rarely had the run that say an Arsenal have gone on this season or a relentlessness of a Manchester City or a Liverpool, and maybe that's just down to pure quality. But it does seem to be down as well. He feels to, to the character of the players that they're they're lacking that bit of drive to really get to that higher level.
6: Well, a lot of these players were in the team that didn't lose a single home match in sixteen seventeen. Uh, so they weren't they weren't that bad then. Um, I think genuinely though they've just been short. Sure. Um, they haven't been consistent, and far too often. I think if you ask every Spurs fan, they'll tell you. Big match on Saturday. Bet we won't turn up, and lo and behold, they don't turn up. They, you know, their attitude is wrong uh, against Arsenal in both games this season. They didn't turn up. It's more often away from home, uh, except against Manchester City when they actually do play. There's the one team they think they can beat, and they play quite well against them. Even the game they lost this season, they should have won. Um, but against anybody else, you know, United this season, awful. Um, Liverpool first half, awful. Chelsea, very lucky. Arsenal, both games, awful. It's been a fairly consistent story this season, but not just this season. It is the history of Tottenham.
1: It's mad, Martin, as well. You look at the Premier League table and and they're only, what, two points off Newcastle, albeit with a a game more played. So for a season that that hasn't exactly gone all to plan, they're still very much in the top four battle. and, and, And look, the game against West Ham at home this Sunday takes on quite significant meaning now.
6: Yeah, win that, and they're potentially in a really good position, particularly they then play Chelsea before Newcastle play. If they were to win them both, they'd be above Newcastle, um, albeit with more games played. Big if, though, isn't it? Um, The truth is they haven't played well in more than a couple of games all season. Uh, Yes, City, first half away, second half, and the whole game at home, and a couple of others, but they haven't played well. And yet, they're, because of the quality of players, because they've got Harry Kane, if we're being honest, they're winning games. Now, at the moment, I thought Kane, Kane got an absolute battering yesterday. If you can explain to me how Simon Scheer can whack Kane five times and not get a booking, and Dyer gets booking for his first foul, I don't understand, but there you go. Um, and that may be different in the home match, but I thought so, both Son and Kulicewski were poor, uh, and Kane was on his own, effectively, yesterday for most of the game. And he, he can't keep on pulling them out of the fire. Martin, from watching not just Tottenham this season but a
3: lot of the teams, how big a factor do you think the World Cup is on a lot of the inconsistency that we're seeing? You talk about Christian Romero and it does feel, I was saying earlier, it feels like he should be in that elite bracket of centre-halves, but then you watch him play and there seemed to be a rashness to his play constantly. Like last night, it was such a bad tackle in the second half, a silly tackle. Uh, Youngman's son has been nowhere near the player. He just looks totally mentally drained. I know Kane has been able to step up, but do you feel that having a World Cup mid-season has taken more out of these players than, than we're given credit for?
6: I think it's taken a lot out of everyone because it ha- was such an unprecedented situation. The, Fem- the PFA were really worried about injuries in January for the players who went to the World Cup and the ones who didn't go to the World Cup because of the demands and stresses and strains on their bodies. And, and there have been a lot of injuries as we've seen. You know, Van dyke has been out for, for Liverpool. He's just on his way back. Spurs have now lost uh, Bentanko and Basuma, not Basuma, didn't go to the World Cup. Bentanko did. Bentanko got injured at the World Cup. But Charleston got injured at the World Cup. So Spurs have, have suffered from it in, in a lot of ways, but that's why you have a squad. I'm not going to have that as an excuse. And also, most of the top teams had a lot of players at the World Cup. So they're all in the same boat. It's just a question of whether or not your body holds up to the stresses and strains. And sometimes you get a run of bad at Arsenal have played effectively the whole the whole team also you know, seven of them have started every game. But a lot of those players were involved. Um part, you know, Party went to the World Cup, Saka went to the World Cup, Martinelli was in the squad. Gabriel Jesus would have been if he if you know, um if it hadn't been for, for his inju- injuries, etc. So actually got injured in the World Cup. So but they've kept going. Vamsdale went to the World Cup. That yeah that they have not shown um any a backlash to it. They just kept on winning.
3: Obviously, it's a huge game tonight. Arsenal, Manchester City. Uh, it'll be built as maybe a, a decisive game in the Premier League season. It reminds me a bit of, was it Arsenal-Leicester? The year Leicester won it and Arsenal beat Leicester. And we thought, well, that was the end of it uh, for Leicester. But Leicester obviously came back. Does this feel decisive? Does this feel like
6: a game Arsenal simply can't afford to lose? I think if they losing suddenly the five-point lead becomes no-point lead and second on goal difference, having dropped eight points out of nine, you'd wonder about their capacity to come back. Uh, a draw for Arsenal tonight is not a bad result, given that they played a game uh, a game fewer than, um, than City, so they could stretch the lead again. A defeat, I-, I do think it would have a huge impact on both teams, but particularly on Arsenal because of that is that you know the first time they've hit a really poor run of form at the worst possible time? City have will have absolutely taken advantage, and you look at that and think, it, City are going to win this, aren't they? Arsenal will get a result tonight with a, a draw or a win, and you think they're really in control of their own destiny.
1: They do seem to be heading in two different directions, Martin. Maybe that's me reading too much into a couple of weeks, but. Uh, you'd, be, you'd be quite concerned with the nature of Arsenal's performances in the last couple of weeks, for sure.
6: They were poor at Everton, and they weren't great against Brentford, and all, also they've got this sort of sense of grievance, which might help over the decision on the, the Brentford equaliser. Mm-hmm. Though I, I did notice, or I, I didn't rather, more importantly, notice Arteta saying, yeah, but you, actually, should have been a goal for Brentford in the first half, because that was never a foul by Embuimo, but there you go. Uh, such is the way of the world. Um it depends how they react and we won't know that until we see them on the pitch tonight are they going to uh, gird their loins come again and fight or are they starting to think uh, we've done really well but it's just not meant to be and you can sometimes see that in teams where they not necessarily give up the ghost but start to lose the belief that they can they can achieve and this will be the acid test of whether Arsenal really believe now they could play really well and lose that's possible they are playing Man City uh, with, with or without Holland, they're playing the best football team in the division. But Arsenal have been the best side this season. And if they play to the standards they set until just a couple of weeks ago, and they're at home, they play like they did against United, Arsenal will win this game. If they play like they did against Brentford and Everton, they'll lose. I mean, that's that's the reality. But teams can find their form. And in the biggest games, you find out the biggest characters, don't you? Is there a way in which the the financial charges
1: levelled at at Manchester City are going to potentially give them a a kickstart for the rest of the season? I mean, there's nothing more than they'd love than a little bit of siege mentality potentially to to kick them forward. We saw the massive banner unfurled last weekend at the Etihad against Villa, you know, in support of the lawyer, for example. They were booing the Premier League anthem before the game. So there is this siege mentality that, that Man City will have taken to the next level for the rest of the season, Martin.
6: Yeah, there's nothing better in football than a cause, is there, sometimes? Um... And if you look at the last time they were banned by UEFA, they won the next five matches, including at Real Madrid, away. Uh, and then lockdown came and we, everyone forgot about it. Um, so history repeats itself and they're in a great position, City. There will be four points clear. We will see very soon. Um, I still think that those two games between them, not just this one tonight, but also the one in April, will have a decisive bearing on it in the long term but City want to whatever happens City want to be able to say well we were the real champions we were the team that everyone knows was the best team and even if they take our title away everyone knows and I'm sure that will be the discussion we want to show everyone that we're the best There's even problems
1: there for for Arsenal regardless of Erling Haaland whether or not he's fit you you see someone like Julian Alvarez coming into that City team and and causing problems in his own right. So, regardless of, of what the problem is, you, you still have to contend with different types of, of scenarios. And, and Haaland's fitness, of course, is important to that City team. But they have so many options at st- such strength and depth, Martin, that it's not, it's not a death knell to their title charges if, he, if he's not fit for, for a game or two.
6: No, absolutely. Look, we know that City can play without a centre-forward. They did it for two years. Uh, and that pattern of play is ingrained into them. They know what to do. Uh, this season, arguably, they've been less... They said have been less less good on the eye, but they've had the cutting edge. And actually, maybe Holland needs a couple of weeks off. I don't know. It might be good for him to come back fresher because he was looking a bit more frustrated by actions in games recently. You know, the game of Spurs, he didn't have a touch in the Tottenham box for the first time in a match. And he was running channels and getting nowhere. You could see the frustration. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's it's good. I, I, the key always is how De Bruyne plays if he plays well, City win. doesn't matter who the centre forward is because he's just the most talented player in the Premier League and the best football player in the Premier League and if he's on, on his game, he'll find a way to win it for City.
3: There's really no guarantee of that though and I think that's the one thing out of tonight that I think there's a mental challenge for Arsenal if they were to lose this that actually it's not the end of the road. City... I could be wrong. I just don't see them putting together that run of 10, 12 straight victories. They haven't shown that level of consistency. De Bruyne definitely hasn't shown that level of consistency. But you feel what Arsenal... They had it
6: think, in previous seasons until they did.
3: Yeah, well, that that, yeah, they, that is the problem. They They've done it and they have the track record of, of being able to do it. That's, for Arsenal, it is that fact of if you've dropped eight points out of nine... Mm does it suddenly become that collapse, just a sense of foreboding around the place and it becomes a, you know, another easy title for Manchester City.
6: And what you do, maybe they're the back of Valteta's man. He was in the squad, albeit injured, in 15-16 when Arsenal were five points clear after half the games. Uh, everyone talks about Spurs losing the title. It was Arsenal who threw the title away. They only won seven of their last 20 matches that season.
1: Yeah, it, look, it remains to be seen. Tonight's going to be the first step. I, I mean, as you said, still have to play each other twice, so remains to be seen what's going to happen. But uh, Arteta versus Pep tonight will certainly uh, keep our attention. Martin, great stuff as always. Thanks a million. All right, Bye-bye, thank you. Martin Lipton there, of course, football writer. Uh, with the sun, 22 minutes past eight on this uh, Wednesday morning's 8pm. It's, uh, it's going to be a title race, Nathan. I remember we sat in a room, this very room, just before Christmas, and did our predictions for the for the mm-hmm. for the sporting year twenty twenty three. Myself, yourself, and Jera, if I'm correct, predicted City to go on and win the title, and Adrian Barry. Held firm with Arsenal.
3: Yeah, but the easy easy answer was to pick Arsenal because you get all the credit if you're right. And Good point. So I, I think it was a no risk pick where you forget about it otherwise. I, I can't wait for tonight's game. I will be really interested to see what Arteta does. They've named an unchanged team for six games in a row. Mm. Trossard has come in and done very well. He got the goal at the weekend. I thought he he won the game for them against Manchester United in that last fifteen minutes does he start him ahead of Martinelli does he try and shake it up and maybe play Martinelli up top instead of Nketiah and bring Trossard in on the left hand side or does he feel that actually it hasn't been that bad in the last couple of games like it's not a case of being bullied by Manchester City it's a case of being outplayed and they were bullied by Everton felt in a way they were sort of bullied by Brentford you know Martin touched on that goal that was disallowed for Brentford they were physically stronger than them Mm. I'm just not convinced by City I was commentating on their game at the weekend against Aston Villa it was comfortable, very comfortable, but they're trying all sorts of things. You know, they played three at the back, an official three at the back almost, because they've been, you know, naming four defenders, but Rico Lewis is playing at right back or left back, but doing the Cancelo thing and playing in midfield. They're playing a sort of three two two three formation. I thought the Bruyne was fine. Bernardo Silva's playing an awful lot deeper. And listen, they have proven again and again that they can go in these runs, but it does feel as though they're not quite at the level they were at, and you know, as a neutral in this, I think you want Arsenal to get something out of it. You want there mm. to be a dramatic title race, and like this could be what sparks them into life. I do think that Leicester Arsenal game could be relevant though, in that everybody said when it was, I think it was, it might well have been this day uh, of the season, mm. everyone felt when Arsenal beat them that day that that was it for Leicester. Like Danny Welbeck scores last kick of the game. <laughs> Simpson have been sent off there's no way Leicester come back from this and then Arsenal were the one who collapsed and Leicester go on this uh, insane run I think if Arsenal were to lose tonight they need to look at it like that but yeah I cannot wait for this early kick off remember half yeah, seven
1: half seven so get in there head of the Champions League tonight so uh, yeah Emirates Stadium Arsenal Man City 7.30pm tonight of course we'll react to that game on tomorrow morning show 25 past 8 on this Wednesday morning o time to say a very good morning to Keith Wood morning Keith Morning Shane, how are you? Keeping well, thanks. Keeping well. We're gonna we're gonna keep uh, this reaction going to the to the France game because we want to keep talking about it. Let's be honest. Um, ball in play for for over forty six minutes. It turns out that the longer the ball is in play, the better a match is going to be, and the better Ireland's chances of winning are.
4: Well, that's what it looks like from the weekend. Um, uh, I watched the game at home. Um I had been down at the under 20 game in Cork the night before, which was fantastic as well, seeing all the, mm. the next generation that are kind of coming through, which was lovely. So I was kind of excited when the game started. Um but I couldn't get over how long the first half. I couldn't get over how long this it was the longest game of rugby. It, it was um the level of excitement of edge of the seed stuff because Ireland were trying everything um, and France were trying everything. I mean, it took two teams. And um, it's it's kind of a joy when you get around to seeing a game playing at that level. It's the best game I've ever seen Ireland play. And I know there's that's hyperbole, but maybe it's just at this stage. I, just, I can't remember a game I enjoyed as much Um that had absolutely everything, and but I, it, for me, it's the freedom in which the team played. the uh, the The fact that they're allowed to be themselves, that they're allowed to have a go. That um, like there's a couple of passes from Caelan Doris that you got a bollocking from in the not too distant past, and in the distant past, you they got a bollocking your whole life if you try to pass the the last pass that he gave. Um, And it just, there was no uncertainty. It just didn't look like anybody was in any doubt. It was the right thing to do, have a go at it. There's a great joy when you're able to see that, but then there's a better joy still when everything that's tried pretty much comes off.
3: There was one question about Andy Farrell when he came in was that he was a big part of the Joe Smith era and, how much he had bought into what joe schmidt was about when you're talking there about that freedom it does feel as though they've retained a lot of the good bits of the schmidt era the structure uh but that farrell has given them something that they can go and express themselves that particularly in that last year last year of schmidt where it felt like they were they were playing with fear that fear is completely gone now but at the same time the quality of their passing the the importance of doing the simple things right, that also hasn't been lost. Well it's it's brilliantly exciting, it's in no way reckless.
4: Yeah, I don't know that it's reckless, but I, I do think, uh Nathan, that it's I think it seems a little bit more natural and I think it seems more fun. And um I know this is a serious thing and we'll talk about Wales and the, the perilous state that they're in. But um it is a game as well. I know it's a business, but it's a game and games are meant to have fun. And it looks like this is a team that has fun. And and, and look, I've said it for a lot of different coaches as they get towards the end of their tenure, um, the, the, the fun element almost goes and it becomes too much of a job. And you begin overthinking different things. And we're, we're still in early stages. I think with Andy Farrell, um, but I would all, always always say that you know players are sorry coaches that are in other coaching setups. if They're not the boss. They have to follow what the boss dictates. Now they can try and convince him, but if if the coach isn't for turning, they still have to go with what the boss says. And uh, I think there's a fairly stark change. Um, and what I would say from Farrell is far a rugby guy. No, he's a rugby league guy, but and a rugby union guy, but. He is and has been a success in everything he's done on the sporting field. And I think he would have seen in fairly stark view that some of the joy had gone and some of the things that had gone wrong at the end of what was the best ever tenure from an Irish coach and Joe Schmidt. You know, there was incredible success in that period of time. But at the end of it, that joy seemed to have gone. um, that freedom of expression seemed to have gone. Um, that's what it looks like at the moment. I think it's a structured game, but it's a structured game where decisions have to be made so the players are been kind of forced to lead and to make decisions, and that's what leading is. So it isn't a script that you have someone shouting from the sidelines saying, kick this ball, do that thing. It's see what's in front of you, give it as many options as you can possibly get, make the right option. And I have to say, as a fan, as an ex-player, as a fan, whatever, you know, you're looking at it. It's fantastic to watch. It's just there's a and long may continue. And without getting overly excited by, it, and I am overly excited by it because I think you have to celebrate when days like that happen. But, um, uh, like it's, it was an extraordinary performance. Two great teams of a team that hasn't lost for uh, for a long period of time. Who are um, have some of the most gifted players that have ever played the game. I mean, in Penno I think he's extraordinary. In DuPont, he's unbelievably an incredible player. Back at his absolute best. Um, and it was a joy to watch an Irish team beat them and beat them in the fashion in which they did. And I think you have to celebrate that. I mean, you don't take anything for granted for the next time. And I always kind of put that in, but that's something that's that's important. But you have to you have to kind of take the joy and say, well, whoa, that's an amazing thing. And we experienced an amazing thing and watched it last weekend.
1: Did want to get your take, Keith, on the, uh, the Antonio yellow card. Um, and of course, the, look, the, the game would have been impacted if, if Ireland had the man extra. But Wayne Barnes' decision has left a lot of people scratching their heads.
4: I, look, I think he'd been trying to have a discussion during the week um, prior to it in terms of contexts that are made in the in the chest that move up that may not have the same level of risk and I actually think there was merit in his conversation there wasn't on Saturday um, because the impact was substantial and um, uh, it was a red card I mean you're listening to his rationale and you're saying okay there's uh, there's a certain element there that makes sense uh, in certain circumstances but not in this one and um, I don't know whether you can't double guess what he was thinking or not thinking, but for me, that, that was a red card. I mean, look, I looked at it in a few different things. I felt there was a few things that were wrong at the weekend and I don't want to be constantly beating up on, on TMOs and referees and stuff like that, because I think they have a very tough job. Um, but I don't think it's, bad. it's a wrong thing to say that that's a wrong decision and that needs to be looked at and there needs to be a clarification for world rugby on it. There also needs to be the the proper angles to see whether a try is scored or not, because there was enough of images that came out after the fact of James Lowe's try with his foot in the ground. I wasn't a hundred percent certain whether he'd placed the ball in the area or not, but that's fine because that's a referee's view, and he said no, I think it's a try, and if you can say anything rather you know that that doesn't dispute that, then it's a try that's fine, but there were images, and it doesn't do the game a service when those images come out too late to be able to to solve the, the situation. So there are two things that need to be looked at in the light of rugby to say that we're trying to make the game um, fair and understandable for everybody. And they are two instances where, look, that's wrong. And I've been, I haven't stepped away from this idea of the red cards. I think you need to bring that a hinge to the hip for the tackle and um, I understand that certain things can be can be looked at differently in a soaking tap, tackle that may have had contact may be different, but I do think we need to get the level of the height down, um, down to chest height, uh, you know, chest height and lower, and that's where it has to be, um, and then you can look at mitigation afterwards. But a guy who's six foot four standing straight up, there's no mitigation in that.
3: Keith, if we were sitting here today and France had won that game, we'd be doing a deep analysis of Ireland's failings and psychologically what this means ahead of the World Cup and a potential World Cup quarterfinal and Ireland's ability when it really matters to beat the very top tier in a competitive Six Nations game. We're not really looking at it now from a French point of view. They were on this brilliant winning run and they've come up against the best team in the world and they've been beaten and you know they threw absolutely everything at them. It wasn't as if they didn't perform on Saturday and they still weren't good enough. Do you think there'll be that sort of introspection and do you think they need that sort of introspection now in France ahead of the World Cup?
4: I, look, I know there's been a bit of introspection from the uh, from the French media. Um, I spoke to a couple of guys in the French camp this time last year, actually, and um, I, a really interesting conversation in that um, they've been trying to build up the confidence of the team, and it had worked. It was a high level of positive affirmation that everything was good, just get better, don't concentrate on the negatives, concentrate on the positives, build the team up, and that's phenomenal when you're going well, and um, you know that you have a coach and management in your corner that are fighting your corner, you know, that are willing you to play and allowing you to make a mistake without being castigated afterwards. And that's a pretty cool thing. Um, so it's perfect when they win, but, um, what happens when they lose? Are they, do they doubt themselves then when that happens? Do they feel like imposters in their own team that, that the information that's been given to them is lies in, in certain respects? Um, or is this the loss that puts them on the road to greatness? Because I think as a team and you look at France, this is a team of great individuals. And I think like in every team that does well, all the other teams look at them and say, how are we able to dismantle this team? And, uh, I was asked last week, uh, by French media, um, you know, what were the weaknesses I saw in the French? I was asked, because there were a few different questions I answered the questions and I said, look, we need to be in a position where we dismantle the weaknesses and they said, well, highlight the weaknesses and I ignored that text Um, Mm -hmm. and I said, we'll wait till till afterwards. But the weaknesses are their strengths, are the huge men that they have in the pack that are incredible at scrummaging, incredible at grinding out teams. They're perfectly built for playing against someone like um, South Africa, they're able to meet that big power game. And then they have the incredible individuals in the back line. When you move them around the field all over the place and you don't give away any scrums, you don't knock on the ball at all, you play with a high level of discipline. Those huge men were becoming a liability. They were wrecked coming off the field. I mean, it was quite interesting how tired they were. Um, and It's not to say that they don't play in that way, but France now have to figure out a way to slow down a team like Ireland that plays at that level of attention to detail and that pace. So they have to slow down the rocks. They have to to figure those things out. So I would say from France, if they get it right, this can be the making of them, actually, because this is somebody that has taken them on at a level that destabilizes them. And that now has highlighted a weakness, and they need to sort that weakness out.
1: The the, the strength and depth. You, you don't win a World Cup without without a, a, a bit a little bit of strength and depth at the very least, Keith. And and you look at this Irish team now, and you see the lads coming off the bench, and albeit we we're missing probably three or four of our best players uh, at the weekend against France, and still won with such with such relative ease. And um, you see someone like Tom O'Toole come off the bench and slot straight in, uh, Craig Casey as well. Conan came in there, uh, you know, and, and these lads were, were coming into the team fairly early during the second half as well. But Ross Byrne is someone who a lot of the focus, of course, has been on him naturally enough. Like he, he comes in after, I think, 48 minutes at the weekend and really slots in just perfectly.
4: Well, I, I, look, we discussed this, Shane, a couple of weeks ago that um, in in the almost the protection that Johnny is getting... In the position he's playing, with the options he's been given, and the system that they have suits Ross Byrne. Mm. and he he kicks incredibly well. I don't think he he makes the the same quality of decisions as Johnny, um, but I think the more he plays, the better chance he has of doing that. Right, so the, the more the more options he gets, the better chance he has of doing it. I, look, I thought he played he th- played pretty well. Um, the uh, I, I don't think our our attacking play is as fluid, and I don't think it could be as fluid because Johnny is like a, a general on the field. And, um, but again, the more you play, the better chance that you have for it. I think the structure suits. Um, I will say every time I see Ross Byrne kick a ball, I just think he's the most effortless kicking style of of any player. Um, and I think he's had an awful lot of downs in his career, and he's still here, you know, and that's like, I love that. Um, uh you know, the balls of a player like that to to take as many knocks as he's got and to still be there and to still um be able to stand tall and play and uh um and end out a game with with thirty minutes to go and you know and how much doubt has that fella had in his head over the last few years, how much doubt have people Spoken about in terms of it, and he still is able to do it on the biggest play. So I just think that's an, that's an extraordinary thing for, for a player like him. For some of the other players, Tom O'Toole, I think is, is fortunate in some respects. There were very few scrums, um, because at times he struggled with that, but you know that he's going to get confidence from playing it. Uh, Craig Casey, uh, I'm a fan of Craig Casey and I'm a fan of him when he plays like he was when he started, and that's what he did at the weekend. I don't necessarily want Craig Casey going for a gap. Um, mm. uh, he's he's a small player. I want him to be on his feet, linking constantly. And when that happens, I think his pass is just startling. So I don't want him thinking of anything else. I'd like him to revert. Uh, uh, you know, I'm sure he's, he's annoyed with the constant similarities with Stringer, but I want him to act like a Stringer that he is the link so that he should always be where the ball is. The ball should be in his hands and out of his hands as quickly as possible. I think that gives Ireland an opportunity to play at a really, really fast pace. I thought Conor Murray had done extraordinarily well beforehand. Um, and uh, I just think that when, when Craig came on, the the speed of that pass was fun- was fantastic, was phenomenal. So look, I, I thought it was a full squad um, and I just, But it was a joy to watch. That's, you know, you should never step away from the fact that you watch the game because it's fun, you know, and it's exciting and it makes you feel good about yourself. And imagine what it does for the players that are on the field.
1: You could, even, you could see it with Johnny Sexton even before the game with the, the, the national anthem and the emotions that were that were around the team for sure. Um, you, you touched on it earlier Keith that the, the turmoil in Wales at the moment is is uh, quite concerning for Warren Gatland and everyone involved in, in Welsh rugby uh, and the story in the back pages of, of, of some of the papers this morning um, which a lot of people will have seen the Six Nations match between England and Wales uh, into doubt plunged into doubt reports uh, emerging that Wales players considering strike action over their stalling contract renewal so they're uh, apparently due to meet this week the players Um, the squad and the rest of Wales professional players Uh, one quote from a player who was featured apparently in both of Wales games in the Six Nations speaking to the Daily Mail says I can't believe I'm five months away from the end of my contract eight months away from the World Cup and my future isn't certain yet, I can't apply for a mortgage and I'm on antidepressants, I'm also one big injury away from not having a job in July and yet I'm starting for Wales every week and the WRU is making tens of millions from international matches, bit of a a concerning situation for Welsh Rugby Keith
4: well it is and um I would always say there are there's a much wider context and um if we go very wide and very narrow is probably the best way to do it. Very wide is that the game is struggling heavily for finance. Um COVID has put everybody under pressure. We should never um step away from the fact that when um when COVID struck here uh, the government gave grants. And, um, uh, supported sport, uh, of all types in, in Ireland. And, uh, in the UK, they gave loans and those loans have to be paid back. And that has put a huge amount of teams, um, and unions under pressure. Um, I've spoken to, in the last two months, I've spoken to five, um, different owners of, of, of clubs and franchises and, uh, one of them has said, look, they, they have a really good chance of breaking even this year, and that sounds fantastic. Um, but breaking even doesn't take away from the debt that you have and the debt that, the amount of money that was put into the club in the first place and the amount of money that has to be paid back over the next number of years. So the game is struggling very heavily, um, trying to figure out what is the best route for it, Um you need huge numbers coming through. The, the bigger the numbers that you have coming through, the more sustainable the, the game is. Um, there's a huge doubt, uh, like from a player's perspective, to find out that he doesn't have a contract. But you can't give a contract to somebody unless you know you can pay it. Mm. Um, and that's one of the that's one of the pieces that they're stuck in at the present moment in time. So Wales are looking to try and have a viable financial model. Which is a restructuring of the contracts as the contracts come to an end. So they've been waiting for the contracts to come to the end to look for a more uh, centralized system of payments that fit the bill to the finances that they have at their disposal to be able to pay off all their debts. And they haven't got to that at the yet to be uh, at this time. So to be, to be in the situation in the middle of a six nations thinking along that way, it's incredibly frightening for players. Um, And, uh, like I've, I've just watched some of the commentary that some of the people are complaining. Well, some of these people are getting three or 400,000. You know, they shouldn't be complaining. This is an incredibly tough game. And if we saw anything at the weekend, you can see injuries happen all the time. You can be finished next week. And this is one part of your life, not all of it. And you could finish at 25 or 30 and you still have the rest of your life to go and live the amount of money that's earned may not be viable for the sport but it's not enough for the player so it's an incredibly difficult place to be in and um look I know that Yian Evans has just gone in as as, as chairman I know Yain very well um good honest strong guy um but every every day in Wales there seems to be a new issue so um there's a, they've a big job on their hands to try and get that right I imagine they'll sort it out. I mean, there were always conversations in the nineties that there was going to be strikes in the future at some stage. Um, that when they were trying to figure out what the game was like, you'd have hoped that that would have moved on at this stage. But I still think we're we're suffering um, uh, the hangover from from the COVID lockdowns. Um, uh, we've seen it in England with Worcester and Wasps. Now we're seeing it in Wales. Um, you know, I. I, th- I just think it's an incredibly difficult period of time for it, but you can imagine the the doubt when you're in a negotiation for your contract, and your contract's going to be up in a few months. And you don't know if you're going to have another job, so I, I think a lot of things are going to have to change in Wales mm. for 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 the contracts to be sorted, but also to the the sixty. Um, Cap rule to whether players have to play in in in, in Wales to play for Wales. Um, I think everything is going to be on the table.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a concerning situation. We'll definitely wait and see how that how that uh, materializes and whether or not that strike happens, and of course whether or not that England Wales game goes ahead. Certainly up in the air as things stand. Uh, Keith, great stuff as always. Thanks a million. Cheers, gents Brilliant stuff. Keith Ward joining us as uh, as he usually does uh, on O to B A M eight forty seven A M on this Wednesday morning. So to and M, it is time. For Virtual Insanity.
5: You have entered Power Drive.
1: John Duggan, good morning. Shane and Nathan, how are we doing? Keeping well, keeping well. I always enjoy when the hat's on. Yeah my mom my said it to me recently she says there's there's a there's an air of mysteriousness about John Duggan when he has the hat oh, the yeah. head on and down over the head it's kind of a to continue the godfather theme um there's a bit of a don vito oh, geez, corleone geez. about John Duggan isn't there don duggan maybe it's more of a, whole, a, whole, a
0: hold, a hold <laughs> all a hold a hold all filter monopoly what's the re- money. what's the relevance of the hat this time john i uh, just
1: uh, i think i need a need a haircut. is it a what's a what's oh, it's a what's the hat it's the Breeders' Cup uh, Breeders' Cup hat. sorry of course from we've Kentucky in November. in November we've seen it before Yeah.
0: Um. Um, also it's also a golf slot, so I look like uh, one of those American golfers has come to Ireland on their vacation <laughs> uh, and so this is the Genesis Invitational it starts tomorrow with the top six in the world in it Tigers in it going to be brilliant for the next four days one of these uh, elite events on the PGA Tour in Los Angeles formerly known as the Los Angeles Open in Riviera it starts half two Tomorrow, Irish time, we've done the podcast on the OTB network, on the Goaloud network. So I have five golfers in the podcast. I've got two to give you today because uh, we want, obviously, people to listen as well as as watch right now. But the headline tip is Rory this week at 9-1 for 6 each way for virtual cash. Um, I think he probably will be a bit exasperated, Rory, that he is not the number one in the world given the way he's been playing so well in the last year, 18 months. And uh, that's just the, how tight it is at the top with Ram. And obviously Scheffler now number one again. But uh, Rory's got a good record at Riviera. I'm looking, what, three times in the top ten and six starts. I wouldn't be too worried about what happened in Phoenix last week. I think it was just a bit of rust. Remember, he did win in Dubai. So I don't think the game is in any kind of bad shape or anything. He's got a good record of the course. He's a good ball striker, which is what's required around here. And I think he'll have the fire in the belly. Uh, with the praise of Tiger Woods ringing in his ears uh, over the last 24 hours, uh, to contend and be in the top eight, I think uh, for a bit of profit for Rory McIlroy uh, in the uh, Genesis Invitational. So he's the the top-ranked player in terms of the virtual insanity pick this week. He's the headline pick. Uh, the other one is Cameron Young, a 30 to one for three each way. Cameron Young once again didn't play very well in Phoenix, but once again his penultimate start was a second, a tie for second at the Saudi International. So he was coming back from the Middle East as was Rory. Cameron Young has got to do a bit better around the Greens. uh, But if he can channel uh, that good performance a couple of weeks ago, I think he can definitely win on tour. Five times second last year, including in this event uh, was a elite player at the PGA and the Open Championship. Just needs that victory. Brilliant ball striker. Hits it far. And I think generally, if you're looking past uh, winners of this event, you big hitters do generally tend to do well. Bubba Watson's won it. Justin Johnson's won it. I think Cameron Young, at 30-1, can give you a run, run for your money. I've got three outsiders picked. They're all on the podcast on the
1: OTB network, which is now live. Brilliant stuff. John, uh, Spurs last night. We had a comment in for our from our resident Spurs OTB AM. Watcher and viewer, Bobby Dwyer, Spurs okay last night. Frustrating result, control the game and Perr in the final third. Kulusevski and Son Perr, no forward out ball for Kane all game. Two young lads did well in central field. Still in the tie. What's your assessment after last night? Uh, well, I don't want to be a miserable bee uh, on the show every time I talk about Spurs, lads. Because um, <laughs> there's
0: just no point in being miserable. But uh, I, I, I felt that Milan are no great shakes. They play with tenacity, which I think is what won them the game. Uh, they defended quite well. Uh, there was definitely bright sparks from the likes of Sar and Skip uh, and actually Forster played okay but there's, there's definitely a worry I think Son is a shadow of, of the player he was last season um, Kulusevski didn't have the best of games I think Romero is too rash he's now got what seven yellow cards in seven games and, uh, I just f- feel that, um, I'm just tired. I'm just tired of the inconsistency, really. And like, I was just even like looking at the quotes from Antonio Conte in Italian after the game. I prefer to live in the present. I don't want to think about the future, but you know, perfectly know that as an Italian man and a former Italy manager, Italy's in my heart. Italy will always stay there. I will never exclude that possibility. I'll be back here one day. Who knows? And that could be sooner rather than later, you know. Show me the money. Yeah, just I, I, like he's always flattering his eyelashes uh, every almost like every second game at, at, at not being around. Sports. You got to play the game though.
3: Yeah, but a, a manager of uh, Antonio Conte's brilliance, both as a manager and as when he was a player, such a beautiful player in the middle of midfield, who's having to put Oliver skip out in the last sixteen of the Champions League, like that's going to depress anybody. Yeah, <laughs> he must most be the most bang going. average midfielder. <laughs> well, I think could have poor man Harry Winks. well, last, Jesus, well last he was fine. Well, I think it could against have put,
0: the Johnson. Like not a great team. I think he could have put Richarlison out mm. Richarlison's the type of player you wanted to see there. A bit of fight, bit of bit of bit of zog, and had a good World Cup and hasn't hurt. Like he hasn't scored in the league, you know, but I don't think he's got the chance to do so. I don't think Son is playing well enough to be in the team at the moment. Um, but they, they really are th- threadbare, Tottenham. Like Hoybier is injured now. He was obviously suspended yesterday. Uh, Basuma, Laris, uh, Sassanian. Benton Core is a massive loss. Dyer will miss the second leg. Yeah, well, that's probably a good thing because uh, he has been dire. Um, the worry I have is that Pochettino will come back and Daniel Levy will get a free pass for not backing him in the transfer market five or six years ago. And it'll be all nostalgia time and the owners will get a free pass for the fact that they don't know how to run a football product. Brilliant business people that don't know how to f- run a football product. Just Groundhog Day waking up like... It bigger. is, and that's why I don't want to be a miserable guy in the show saying the same thing uh, in, ad infinitum. Because on their day, as we saw in the City games first, mm. on their day, but it, it, the consistency-wise, they can't D- Those performances
3: are almost given a, a false, false yeah, yeah. ceiling of mm. because you're looking at them down at the table and going... Phew geez they should be hired and where like actually top four is a decent finish for this yeah. group yeah. of yeah, players but because say. every month they'll put in an outstanding mm-hmm. performance you go hmm, well if so you could just put a run of victories together they could actually go and challenge for the title but like the Richardson one is one of those signings that happens at clubs every so often where he's actually a very good signing and a very talented player mm. but he doesn't fit into the system, system at yeah, all yeah. and he's unsettled son at the start of the year it feels now maybe it's a deeper thing with Youngman's son because it's continued but the slight move out of position for him like Kuliszewski at the end of last season was arguably the best player in the Premier League in the amount he was creating for Harry Kane but something happened when Richarlison came in that both of those have had a big dip and look, Kane will keep scoring goals because someone's going to have to score a goal eventually for them yeah. but even Kane's overall level I don't think feels like it's where it was last
1: season John with the hat on looks like a character from Moneyball to Zen TV um, yeah potentially there's, there's a few characters a great film by the way is it is, is a good is it? film it is a good film uh, there's a great story in the back of the, the Irish Daily Star I'm sure the other papers as well Arsenal and France legend Bakary Sanya has warned that Irish fans could score a big own goal by turning the Aviva Stadium into a cauldron of hate next month hate uh, Sanya reckons France are hated in Ireland because of the Thierry Henry Ball over 13 years ago he says, we are probably hated in Ireland. The fans will try to put the pressure on us. But the current generation of players don't have anything to do with it, so they might not feel the pressure. Do we hate France?
3: Did he mention a British style of football? That's Ooh. usually what we get in articles like this. That's all we need. I don't think... We saw when Thierry Henry came this time last year with Belgium and his face went up on the big screen. There
0: was a resounding boos, but is there... I don't, I don't think we hate France. I think we hate where we are. We hate that we're not qualifying and we hate that that's the last thing we can cling to in terms of being close to doing something. And we hate talking about Saipan because it's the last time we were oh, there. we were, we're twenty-six. I, I think it's more about where we are as opposed to France. And France is just a symbol of that um,
1: reality. It's not, it it's not you, it's me.
0: Yeah, a bit, a bit, a bit like that. Um, I don't think anybody would have begrudged France if they won the World Cup with it. Um, him Moani if he'd scored. Um, no, I, 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 don't, I don't think Irish fans really do hate anyway. I just, I just I the think, we, I no, think we, I, If some
3: I, random lad from Rangers turns up playing for the opposition, then then there's a bit of hatred.
0: But that's as far <laughs> as it ever goes. I think we're more concerned about what we'll do. Will Evan Ferguson be fit to start? Will he play? Um, what's the vibe around the team? I see Albert Femi scored last night.
3: Yeah, I think there's a yep. weird fascination now when these big teams come because Ireland have dropped so far. Of Mbappe is in town. There's a yep. genuine excitement mm-hmm. among. A lot of probably younger Irish supporters of getting to see this guy in the flesh <laughs> and getting to see some of those incredibly talented French players as much as
1: you know a lot of these people. Thierry Henry's fifteen years ago. Some kids don't know him. Fifteen years ago. Yeah, yeah. that's ah, terrifying. Monday, twenty seventh of March. That's the the game against the French in Dublin. So i uh, looking forward to that. Any Nathan other? was
0: there. He did the he did the he did the award winning report. Oh,
1: you cursed us, Nathan.
0: Well, yeah, well generally when I go bad things happen <laughs>
1: yeah
0: fair point uh, any other bits happening John uh, What I'm looking forward to seeing uh, full swing I don't know if you've seen the sneak preview yet yeah. Nathan I've seen the whole thing have you yes I just got my review this morning already damning
3: damning they're damning saying uh, I think I think you'll watch it I think you'll find it passable and oh, okay. a nice way to spend an evening but there's it's very top line right so, Okay, that's disappointing nice and sweet and uh, the last episode, the Rory episode, is the most interesting one, but this, it's not good. Can to you jump to the Rory
0: episode bit. or do you have to watch it from the
3: start? Uh, no, you don't. You could jump straight to okay. the Rory episode. As I, each one is, if you're a golf fan, you'll find a little nugget of something in each of okay. them, and it's a fine p- way
0: to pass 45 yeah, minutes. I, 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 think, um, it's, it's, I think if you're a golf nut, it's like the Mickelson book I found disappointing because I knew so much already. Mm. I think maybe for people who don't watch golf, maybe that'll be the thing. Mm.
3: Yeah, I, I think they've all fallen down. Into the problem of what are they appealing to, so I don't think it'll mass- I don't think there's going to be what well, we drive to survive although yeah right. watching the Genesis this week I think it'll do great things for someone like Joel Damon who okay uh, and Tony Feenow right who maybe don't have that wider appeal where people will now know them and know their story and Joel Damon'll no longer be the world number seventy he'll have a far bigger profile yeah. than
0: that but okay. it's not going to do much for Justin Thomas or you know, Rory. Yeah, just a shout out to Billy Morgan I don't know if you've mentioned him already, 78 years of age uh, on the line for UCC tonight against UL in the Sickerson Cup final at WIT half-seven throw and what a amazing life story in GA given a back still, imparting that wisdom to younger generations and um, just a fantastic story, all Ireland winning goalkeeper captain 1973, uh, what we're talking about. Uh, 50 years ago this year for Cork, uh, manager in 89 and 90. Just brilliant to see.
1: Yeah, absolute legend. Worth a mention for sure. John, great stuff as always. All right, Thank lads. You. Thank you. fifty-seven uh, am on this uh, Wednesday morning's OTBM. Up next, Kathleen McNamee and her Republic of Ireland women's power rankings. First, Kathleen herself spoke with Eva Mannion yesterday about growing up surrounded by Irish culture throughout her parents. Take a look. Yeah,
7: so my, my parents met in England. They were obviously... Um, from Ireland they met in England they'd moved over for work Um, and so they came over and sort of joined an Irish community in Birmingham hence why my sister grew up in an Irish dancing community Um, I played Gaelic uh, locally at a little team called Shaw, Shaw McDermott's and then for Warwickshire as well Um, And so all of the Irish traditions, um, Gaelic, um, Irish dancing, going to mass, everything like that has felt like quite traditional. Um, Obviously, I've been born in England, but apart from that, all of my family are actually Irish and from Ireland. And so when I got the call up last week, I can't tell you how many messages I've had from family members saying, you know, how exciting that is to be part of it. Um, so really, to be honest, I don't think I've ever seen my, my parents so proud of anything that I've ever done. And I've sort of been around football for a little while now and been managed to be involved in a few bits. And I must say, I think that if they died tomorrow, that they, they would probably be happy. <laughs> That's how excited they are. So um, it's quite like an exciting time for me personally.
1: Yep, minute to nine on this Wednesday morning's 8:00 a.m. brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Kathleen McNamee, good morning.
5: Good morning, guys.
1: You've got the Irish, uh, the Irish jacket on for the for the occasion. Nice retro number there.
5: Yeah, I was half like you know you'd say to dress for the job you want, but after doing this power rankings, I'm like, no, I never want to be a manager because it is entirely painful. You feel your
3: vir power when you pull on the, <laughs> uh, the jacket.
5: That's what I was trying to channel, but I just I don't think I'm cutthroat enough. Like, I, how many times was I sitting in the last like 24 hours? And I kind of you know I do up a list and then I'd be like, no, move that person in. And I'm like, oh, I forgot this person and put them in, and then I'm like, who do I take out? So yeah, it was. Uh, a restless 24 hours. I also say I, feel, I felt like I needed a bit more time with it just to properly settle on it, mm. but we'll be doing these a few times before the
1: World Cup anyway. For so. myself and, and yourself, Kathleen, it's a, it's a retro jacket. For, for Nathan, it's just a jacket.
0: <laughs> mm.
1: Do you know what I mean? Top, top banter. Yeah, uh,
0: I, I wanted
3: Ashley, our Kathleen Aisling, Kathleen uh, to do this mm. uh, because we spoke about it with um, Shabana Hearn last week of the makeup of this squad mm. that Vera Powell had brought... 28 players to Scotland for the playoff game there were five real mainstays of the squad injured and they've added in as we see this week two new players and maybe even a couple more to come at some stage between now and the World Cup so suddenly you're going to have probably at least ten players who've played a big part in qualification not even making the squad
5: Yeah it's difficult like I was looking through some of the past teams from like the qualification and even like the Euros failed qualification and you do just forget how many players have been involved getting to this point and we've talked about it a bit when we did qualify against Scotland everyone was kind of talking to the players afterwards and like oh you're going to a World Cup but you don't know if those players are going to go to a World Cup edit them from an injury to I don't know a poor run of form or like a lot of these players on the Irish squad at the moment aren't starting for their clubs which is slightly worrying in terms of you know just being match fit and match sharp Um, It
3: was interesting the change in tone Vera Powell had about that during her press conference because during qualification she was very much you need to be playing for your club and if you need to leave your current club to go somewhere else to be playing Mm. it's vital but obviously now heading towards a World Cup she has a certain group of players that she needs in the squad that some of them aren't playing it was a lot more well, you know, we'll work with the players, we've got a lot of camps and it'll all be fine.
8: Mm.
5: But some of them
1: will certainly miss out if they don't play any football, That's you'd imagine, the at club level over the next three, four months.
5: Definitely. Has yeah. that
1: played into your decision-making, Kathleen, in terms of, there are some of those players, as Nathan says, who aren't playing that you need, you need to include anyway. Like, you're mm. not, not going to leave Katie McCabe or someone out who's not playing regularly at club level at the moment, but it still is a concern.
5: Yeah, it factored in probably with some more than others. A bit like you're saying, you know, Katie McCabe hasn't started the last three games for Arsenal. Goodness knows why. Anyone who's a regular listener to Gig will know that we basically have a we almost have a Katie McCabe isn't playing segment every week now at this stage because we're just so baffled by the decision. Um, but then there are other players who maybe are in the championship or playing a bit lower down. And like the other thing as well, like the Women's National League hasn't come back yet either. So a lot of those players aren't playing at the moment their season is finished up and it's a bit hard to know if you were to send a squad tomorrow which of those players are the ones that are going to be the standout players. You know, you're kind of basing it on what they were doing at the end of last year um, and I don't know if that fed into the, like. I think there's only two players in the squad that have gone over to Marbella from the league which obviously you'd like to see a few more than that. Uh, I don't think it's just a sign of the fact that a lot more Irish players are going over to the WSL and the Championship. I think, you know, there probably should be a couple more names in in there. Especially at this early stage anyways. Uh,
1: so hopefully. talk us through it. So this is the power rankings as if the as if you were picking the squad today for the for the Women's World Cup later this year essentially.
5: Yeah. And so twenty
1: three it's tw- kind of- twenty three player squad?
5: 23 player squad I was so convinced when I was doing this yesterday I kind of like I wrote out a rough list of all the names I didn't even rank them I was just like (laughs) names that are coming into my head and I was like that's definitely less than 23 and it was 34 Ah, so
1: (laughs) So, that's how difficult the decision it is
5: yeah it's hard I mean it should be 26 every single country wants 26 but FIFA said no so that's unfortunate but um, yeah so number one we have is Denise O'Sullivan this is one of the situations where how do you rank Katie McCabe she's second and Denise O'Sullivan
1: Clip that bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. them, Katie. Put Katie, stick sticking on the sticking on the dressing room wall.
5: I gave it. Happy I gave one. it to Denise. I, I mean, they really should be shared number one because you can't really like this Ireland squad doesn't operate without either of them. I don't think to the ability that we do. But the reason I gave it to Denise was obviously she got named captain of North Carolina Courage this week. Katie hasn't played in a couple of games. There's talk that she had a chest infection and that's why, even though she played 120 minutes in the Conti Cup. Mm. So that was the only reason for the difference between the two of them. There's still two of my favourite players out there. Uh, third, Louise Quinn. Fourth, Nifahi. Fifth, Megan Campbell. Sixth, Megan... Or, sorry. Five, Megan Connolly. Sixth, Megan Campbell. Seven, Courtney Brosnan. Eight, Lily Ag. Nine, Heather Payne. Ten, Amber Barrett. And eleven, Rusha Littlejohn. So not necessarily a starting eleven, but
1: well, it's the 11 it's best players that we the have. The 11
5: at the top. And
3: then, so you think even though Risha Littlejohn's been injured for the last three or four months, there's no doubts?
5: Uh, I don't think so. So, my slight doubts with Risha is obviously Lily I came in in that position and she's actually been performing incredibly well the last while. Um, and she has, you know, she's been scoring in the Champions League three goals in her last ten games or something. Mm. And she's really come into her own. And it's pretty much happened since she came in for Rucha. Um so I think her confidence is an all time high and I really think she could be an important player for us in the next couple of months if she continues her form in the championship with Rusha, I do think that she does give us something and I think that like week on week she is increasing her minutes in the WSL you know she started coming on towards the end of the 90 minutes and now she's slowly going towards like the 70 and I think she will keep backing that up. She also has the added advantage of being in the WSL rather than the Championship, so she is playing at a slightly more competitive level. Um, And I think where she left off, I know in the last game she played, it was Finland, the game she got injured in, wasn't it? She was injured for a lot of that, and she wasn't great. I thought Vera Powell should have probably taken her off Mm. a bit earlier. Um, But I think up until that point, she was quite a stalwart in the team. And
1: I see why. So we're going to name then from twelve on to twenty three now. But there's a chance that a lot of these players could actually be in the starting lineup because, as you say, it's you're picking your your best players, not necessarily by position. So, so who 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 else makes the squad?
5: So at 12 with Jamie Finn, 13 on Gorman, 14 Lucy Quinn, 15 Diane Caldwell, 16 Harriet Scott, 17 Kyra Carusa; 18 Abby Larkin, 19 Leanne Kiernan, 20 Chloe Mustaki, 21 Eva Mannion and then at 22 and 23 we have our two reserve goalies in Grace Maloney and Megan Walsh which just shows mm. <laughs> what I think about the goalkeepers at the moment in the squad.
1: Yeah, uh, do you have to, I suppose you have to bring three, three goalkeepers don't you?
5: You do, and the thing that kind of got me with this is that like there are other options and like I do have other shouts, but it's uh, like someone like Eve Badana has been in and out of the squad. She's never started. She's kind of always at like fourth added on, but with the league not playing at the moment, it's hard. Like she was top keeper in the league last year, so that is definitely a shout for her. Uh, the thing with Grace and Megan at the moment, like they're both barely in their squads. Megan has most recently been dropped for Lydia Williams, who came in to Brighton from PSG. So she conceded, Lydia Williams conceded six at the weekend. But before that, uh, Megan Walsh had, uh, conceded 33 goals across the whole season, which was the most of any team. Now, Brighton are a shambles in general, so it can't all be put on her. And then Grace Maloney has been in and out of the Reading squad pretty much since we qualified against Scotland. Um, Jacqueline Burns from Northern Ireland has been in there too. And they also have the second worst goal record in the league. So it's been a tough time. Even like Courtney Brosnan, you know, when I was doing the power rankings, I think part of re- the reason of having Courtney Brosnan up so high was almost a loyalty out to her as well because she hasn't been starting for Everton this season. Emily Ramsey has and now Emily Ramsey is getting into the England squad for the first time but when Courtney Brosnan did play uh, against United two weekends ago now, she played amazingly and the only reason she was in the team was because Emily Ramsey couldn't because she was on loan from United so, you know whenever I see Courtney play, she plays really well It's just the fact she's not consistent. And like I've talked to Emma Byrne about this quite a lot, and she is, much like Vera Powell, one of those people who says, you know, you need to be playing all the time, you need to be playing all the time. And (laughs) in the last couple of months, she's like slightly, not changed her tune, but with Courtney, she's like, you know, she hasn't been playing consistently, but whenever she does play, she plays quite good. So maybe that suits her in Mm -hmm. a certain way. Um, But you have to have a good mentality, I think, to be a player like Courtney and not be playing the minutes that you are and still be able to pull out performances
3: uh, You have Aoife Mannion in your squad we just heard from her yesterday and she's in all the papers today talking about you know incredibly strong Irish links, it's very much down the Kevin Kilbane route of grew up in an Irish community in the Irish centre, played Gaelic football, preferred Gaelic football to soccer, wouldn't even went to school with uh, Jack Grealish, but wouldn't mention, wouldn't mention the name of uh, <laughs> the G.A. team that Jack Grealish played for, and of course, more importantly than all, she's from Mayo. Mayo yeah, Well, um, Galway. There's, there's well but she's a. definitely pushing, Galway, she's so pushing more it. towards the Mayo side, is what I got from a right. press conference yesterday from uh, Clock Jordan, she's just from outside Kilmain, and uh, her uncle was Uh, Pat Kelly, I presume it's Pat Kelly that played for Vincent and uh, was around the Mayo squad over the last few years. You have her in the squad so the Irish back three is unbelievably experienced. I can't imagine to be a more experienced back three. Uh, I think Louise Quinn is the baby of the group and she'll be 34 by the time uh, the World Cup starts. Is there a possibility that Aoife Mannion can put some pressure to not just make the squad but even make the team?
5: I think So I remember watching her when she played at City and she's been incredibly unfortunate with injuries and like frantically Googling her. Firstly, because of her name. And secondly, because she was playing really, really well at that stage. As a possible, like, does she have any Irish links? Could she come over? I think it was around the time where she was starting to get called into the England squad. So I was like, "Mm, maybe we've already lost her. Mm. I, I do think she can challenge. I think it's going to be incredibly difficult for her because obviously she is coming off the back of that ACL injury. So that I think she got that February last year and she just started back into the United squad January of this year and she's still on the bench. It, like it, It's tough to break into this United squad as well because they're very settled and obviously doing quite well because they're top of the WSL table. I think why I included Eva Mannion was, as you say, that back line is... Getting on a little bit, as much as you know, don't want to say that about them, but they are. And I think she's the sort of player that we need now. Looking into like Nations League, Euro qualifiers, you know, we need to make sure we have that line of succession there, so that we're not left if any of those players decide to retire after the World Cup or in the next year or so, we're not left floundering. Because realistically, it has been such a strong part of our game is that back three and we need to make sure that we have the people there that can go in and I do think she could be a good option now she's not going to, she's quite small so she's not going to have that like dominance in the air of say someone like Louise Quinn but she is very good at one on one situations, she's very good at taking the ball up the pitch herself which is something that Ireland sometimes aren't all that great at we do like a bit of a, a hoof the ball up and see where it goes um, so I think that connection with the midfield could be really good for us in the future if i we said so many times before I'd love to see this Irish team actually play a bit of football and you know have a bit of confidence with the ball at their feet and not just consistently have that helter-skelter and we're definitely getting better at it but there is just still that little bit of a chink in our armour, um, so yeah, I think I definitely do think she could compete for a place. I don't know if she'd go straight into the starting lineup because Vera is quite loyal, but I definitely think she'd put a bit of pressure.
1: I like the I like the mix of youth and experience in that twenty three. I have to say, this is the part though, uh, briefly, Kathleen, that that would have kept you awake at night. The players that did not make your squad. So, so who's left out?
5: Yeah, so uh, there was about twenty of them. I won't lie, <laughs> and actually, mostly it was players from the league here because I did feel a bit bad that I didn't include that many of them because I do think there are some really great players here. Um, so you're like the Jesse Stapleton, Bianca Jarrett, who's just moved back to Wexford, never been favoured by Vera Powell all that much, but I think if she could regain the form she found just before she left, she could be on something. Dana, who we talked about before in goals, uh, this is like I'm not really sure where she's at with her injury, and I think she probably won't be recovered fully in time because I think she had she did her ACL in September. But a player like Ellen Malloy, I would love to see more of. Mm. Um, Isabel Atkinson didn't make it just because she's not getting a whole lot of time at West Ham at the moment, which is really unfortunate. Uh, nee Farley, who scored her first goal in Italy at the weekend very nice goal don't know if either of you saw it on Twitter mm. like volley from kind of just outside the box goalkeeper should have done
1: Italian as well in our post-match press yeah, conference exactly. oh, yeah? yeah give it the there's best an shot. Italian theme to, to today's show but anyway <laughs> sorry go on have you got a, a Are, is
5: there pizzas coming in soon or a bit of pasta
1: a <laughs> <of Goldfather laughs> reference the Aussies, for, the Aussies uh, will be swimming at the fishes by the end of the Farley. Yeah. Hey,
3: Savannah McCarthy was someone who started the campaign as part of that back three and mm. signed for Shamrock Rovers now <laughs> somebody who obviously Vera Pau does trust, I guess it's just a case of fitness.
5: Yeah, I think that was my thing with her was... Fitness. Kathleen
1: doesn't trust her. Kathleen doesn't trust her.
5: Well, no, that's the thing, because I was looking at the old teams and I was like, I had half forgotten how much of a regular starter she was in the squad and how much Vera Powell did actually trust in her because she has been out injured for so long. Mm. Um, I do think it's going to be a bit of a journey back for her. Mm. And that was kind of my main reason for leaving her. I mean, like... I would love it if she came back because she was she was great when she was playing. And when she got her injury, that was such a massive blow for us at the time. And since then, we've gone through about three or four massive blows with the big injuries that we have, um, which is really unfortunate because, like I said, I would love more players who are playing in the league here in the squad. You know, someone like, we get this a lot on Gig people asking us, well, why is Abby Larkin in the squad with someone like Emily Corbett who played with Athlone isn't and was one of the top scorers in the league last year, which is like... A fair enough question. She hasn't yeah. been called in as of yet, so.
3: What about the complete outsiders? Then to wrap it, so Mercy Shiva is in the squad. I think she's going to be doing uh, her media duties. We'll learn a bit more about her today. Mm-hmm. And I did hear you and Koigig, There seemed to be a suggestion that because there's a training camp this month, there's another one in April, and then like they're together for about six weeks before the tournament mm-hmm. even starts. Yeah. So there is time to integrate people and so obviously been work done in the background around passports and Vera Powell said right at the start we're getting lots of calls (laughs) like there's that balance of you don't want to unsettle the squad already there you're leaving out a lot of players who've been around the squad never mind uh, more of them Uh, Marissa Shiva and her chances are anybody else of coming in?
5: I think Marissa Shiva. the reason I she's kind of like on the edge for me is just because I haven't watched her play all that much over the last year. I've seen a couple of her appearances for Washington Spirit, but I think she only played um, 302 minutes last year, so that was about eight games. And the two ninety minutes that she played were during international windows, so she was kind of, like, stepping in for players who were gone. I think she could be really... Like, she was really good at college level. Um, She played with Penn State and, like played like 92 times I think over that time I think what she could add is as Emma Byrne was saying that sort of American athleticism the kind of the sort of run-in you see the likes of Denise O'Sullivan and Heather Payne do who and even someone like Kyra Carusa who've grown up in that very very athletic you know you have to cover as much of the pitch as possible sort of place I think that could be good for us because we don't have a lot of that especially with players who want to attack going forward and if there's someone who can keep pace with the likes of Denise or who can do a nice little one-two switch up with Heather Payne Mm. I'm totally I totally think that would be great but I just would be interested to see if she does play in this camp or in one of the following camps how she actually fits into that squad and you know what sort of relationship she can develop with the players that are already there in
1: midfield. I think great stuff we'll uh, we'll let you relax after that I know it was a stressful experience trying to I'm pick a squad I'm going home now <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, look, we'll, we'll recap it just before the World Cup and see how your uh, your personnel have changed between now and then uh, great stuff as always Cathy thanks a million for that uh, so it is uh, 17 minutes past 9 on this Wednesday morning's OTBM here's what we've got coming up on OTB Sports Radio across the rest of today 1 o'clock OTB Gold with Emmanuel Petit 3pm it is Koi 4pm it's our retro panel on Sport and The Rising 6pm OTB Gold inside Harrington's Gaff and then 7pm of course the show live this evening with Joe Wednesday night Rugby plenty more besides as well you can follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best in the latest sports content here is a clip now coming up from the latest episode of the Football Pod where Paddy, James and Tommy talked about the Sigerson Cup, the football pod in a partnership with AIB, proud po- uh, sponsors of the football, hurling, and camogie All Ireland Club Championships. Check out hashtag the toughest for more. After the break, the ex Waterford hurler Kevin Moran.
4: OTB AM, the
2: sports breakfast show from Off the Ball.
1: All right, welcome back to OTBAN. Now delighted to be joined by the former Waterford hurler and Electric Ireland Fitzgibbon Cup winner with WIT, Kevin Moran, as he looks ahead to the Electric Ireland Fitzgibbon Cup semi-finals and final this weekend this year through its hashtag First Class Rivals campaign. Electric Ireland celebrated the unexpected alliances formed between county rivals as they come together in pursuit of some of the most coveted titles across Camogie and GAA. Kevin, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Keeping well. Keeping well. Thanks for joining us as uh, as usual. Uh, Look, this, this is a tournament that you would have played in back in the day yourself, as we mentioned. So it's it's, it's not easy playing against uh, county teammates and county rivals. You're playing with county rivals, essentially, as well. So it's a strange dynamic, but an exciting one.
8: Yeah, very exciting. And um, As I said, when I, when I look back on my fond memories, it's um, played it for a few years in what was known as WIT uh, back in, we're lucky enough to win it in 2006 and 2008. And did a stint then with UCC while I was doing my postgrad. So it's, um, yeah, some, some great memories. And um, look, semi finals and finals in, in the next couple of days. And, you know, there's good old balls here around Waterford. Look, um, okay, I know they're up against it against UL, but, you know, a really prestigious competition. And, you know, it's great to have it on its, on our doorstep here in, um, uh, tomorrow night.
1: I think the last time you were on with us, potentially, Kevin, was was just after you announced your, your retirement. You're on with Nathan. Uh, talk about what it meant to you to, to hang up the hurl. How how do you how does it sit with you now to be, I guess, an ex county hurler? Yeah, look, it,
8: you know, I guess last year it was really the first year, and you know the lads were flying it and they won the league and things like that. And you're, you're kind of you, you do miss it, let's be honest. But you know, I went to every game. I didn't kind of. Hide away from it. I just went as a supporter, and I suppose after finding my place in the stand and um, you know, nice and comfortably, and just you know, like anybody else, going supporting the team. But you know, the, I suppose the void at the start of, of missing training and things like that. And um, after a while, I, I got myself busy in other areas and a bit coaching, and you know, trying to be involved with the club as much as I can. So uh, yeah, look, just looking forward to the year ahead with the lads again, and um, you know, as a, again as a supporter and. Um, Yes, a good start for them over the first two games but look, bigger challenges and hopefully a long year to come.
3: There's a touch of the Sky Sports News turning up at every Roy Keane press conference about Davy Fitz and whatever county he goes to. Suddenly there's a real media glare on every little thing that happens. Uh, you mentioned sitting in the stands and watching the games as a supporter now. Uh, under Davy Fitz, you never know there could be another uh, opportunity for you because he does like to have different people around different parts of the stadium. This was a big talking point after the weekend of having a coach behind the goal, getting the ball back quickly and maybe just trying to spot something uh, different. What, Firstly, what's your take on, on that and uh, yeah. what benefit there is to it?
8: Yeah, look, I think Davey, look, he, he's exploring all angles as best as he can just to try and improve things. You know, I don't see a huge problem with it. You know, the opportunity is there at the moment. Look, it might be there in bigger matches this year, go ahead. So, you know, he's a new management, he's his new style and, you know, I guess he's trying to point out some things to maybe Sean or Billy as it was over the over the last couple of games to, you know, maybe get the ball back into play, and maybe to spot some runs and things like that. And I think when I was put to him after the match against Leash there on, on, on Saturday evening, I think he answered it excellently. You know, he said he's just trying to bring the professionals into it. You know, there's no reason why, you know, people understand and, and on the sideline can't shoot, shout instructions and things like that. So why not give a little bit more of kind of an in-depth, kind of closer relationship with the goalkeeper coach that it looks like. And, um, is there no danger he's... of
3: a uh, information overload for the goalkeeper for Sean O'Brien that, you know, you've done your training during the week, you've put your game plan into action and now, even when you go out on the pitch, it doesn't end. You're still, like, should he not be making those decisions?
8: Yeah, look, I suppose there is a bit of that. You know, I know it, 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 Look, if there's some noise in your ear, it, it can be frustrating but I, I, I would think it's, you know, I wouldn't think it's every single pocket. I think it's, Kind quick messaging, and you know what? It could be a, it could be a thing that um, the goalkeeper coach wants to see what the movement is like from 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 Sean's position, maybe from his viewpoint. So, uh, look, you're right. It, it can you don't want information overload, and um, it, it, it can be you know it can be quite a difficult task as it is to you know to, to see what's in front of you to be talking to, to be communicating. But uh, look, the lads are obviously working on things in training and. Um, you know why? Why not? If, if if they can use it as best they can.
1: What's he like as a manager in uh, in training, Kevin?
8: Yeah, look, Dave, Davey, uh, Davey, Davey, was very good to me. Uh, he you know gave me a lot of confidence uh, when he came in in two thousand and eight as a young player. And you know it's it's actually interesting. He you know has gone quite well with the with WIT and the team, Fitzgibbon, and you know gave me that platform to you know to build. And you know I think he puts huge value into Fitzgibbon himself. So. You know he understands a, a, what a good competition it is, and you know it's a real stepping stone, I suppose, for the next step up of senior inter-county hurling. But as a manager, he's you know he's top class, and um, uh, uh, you know he's very very professional. I think any players that have worked on him will say that his setup will be top class. He'll be always working on things, you know, like we're discussing at the moment. I think he's good for the game. I think you know he brings that. You know people are talking about him, the media are interested in him. He gives good interviews. Players are happy, so the more the more we see of them, the better I think. But I think he'll have Watford, in, you know, in you know in good condition for you know when they need to. And um, look, obviously it's early in the season, and they're you know they've won the first couple of games, but there's there's massive tasks ahead, and hopefully come you know April, May, June is when they really hit the ground running. But yeah, no, he's um, I have a lot of good time from a very good players, manager. And I suppose one good trade, just looking back to, through his time with Watford, Clare, Wexford, and um, he, he seems to get the best out of players. And you know that's that's a real confidence booster for the squad. And you know you have to kind of admire a guy who can do that.
1: Just going to pause for one second, Kevin, and uh, just improve the quality of your line just for just for one moment. Uh, is Davy Fitz a manager you, you hypothetically would like to have? Like, as you say, there's a there's a a certain circus that follows him around. <sighs> It probably depends where you are in your life
3: cycle as a team. You know, I think listening to a lot of the interviews with Waterford players, there did seem to be a sense that maybe they weren't taking enough personal responsibility about their failings last mm. season. You know, They go, they win the league, they win it convincingly, and then they don't even get out of Munster. That, like, look at yourselves first. It doesn't necessarily need to be a, a change in manager that should have to spark something. Yeah. Uh, you know, as somebody on the outside, listen. Anytime Davy Fitz is involved, as I say, this is a talking point in a league that it sort of feels it's very hard to read anything into what's happening on the pitch. So we're sort of looking for these side shows to keep us interested. Yeah,
1: Kevin, we have you, you, you back on the line there. Sorry, just wanted to improve that line for a second. And um, when you look at this this Waterford team, the this is a uh, the, I guess the nucleus of this current crop. Wins a, a minor in twenty thirteen, wins a twenty one All Ireland in, in twenty sixteen. So there's a little bit of pressure on Davy Fitz in that now is the time where where this Waterford team should be coming to fruition at senior level.
8: Yeah, look, absolutely. It's um, you know they're a really good group of players. I suppose the, the 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 nucleus of the team is as you mentioned that minor and under twenty one team that was so successful, and you know a lot of those guys are still there. And look, I think Davy's kind of trying to hold them as best as he can. For the latter stage of the league and obviously the Monster Championship, and you know, tied in with a little bit of you know, youth like Paul Fitzgerald and Ruben Halloran and Patrick Fitzgerald and that, and it is a nice mix. But no, I do agree, I think there, there is a bit of pressure, as in I'm not going to say it's now or never, but and I, I you know, Aline and Mikey Bevins did a great job, and you know, it, obviously it finished the way it finished, but I think Davey was the perfect fit to you know, the. There was no need for rebuilding and for you know a lot of trial matches and things like that to build your panel. I think everyone knows what the bulk of the team is going to be, and it's just trying to you know get it right with those those good players that we still have at our disposal.
1: What does the league mean now to to a player, Kevin? Like you, you look at that Waterford team. Of course, we said we mentioned won the won the league a couple of years ago, and then or last year, and then and then the championship comes around and. It's disappointment. So, if you're flying high at the end of the league, you just you can't get excited anymore. It's not like the the football league where I guess positions in the league now determine things in relation to the championship. So, is it tough to get excited about the league at the moment in hurling?
8: Yeah, no. In, in fairness, it is. Look, the matches are good, but I suppose when you when when you stand back from it, win, lose, or draw, you're kind of saying, you know, how important is it? Look, every team is trying to peak for. For their respective provincial championships, and you know th- those are everything. Because if if you're not in that top three, you're you're gone. The end of May or the start of June, and look, it's a long summer ahead. So it is a hard one. Look, I know, I know it didn't work out for Warford last year, and they were absolutely flying. You know, they won the league very, very comprehensively, and I suppose the trajectory of their uh, of of their you know the how well they were playing just kind of gradually fell, and you know they. They just kind of looked looked like they were really out on their feet towards the you know towards the end of the monster championship. But look, who's to say you know maybe that was just I suppose we're just going on the data point of last year, and um, you know it did not work out. But um, who's to say they're you know they can turn the tables this year and you know someone goes and has a good league and wins the league and you know goes on and wins, wins the monster Leicester championship. But I suppose you know you'd be changing your mind and saying look, well their league form was good uh, you know, it was obvious that they're going to play well. But no, certainly it, it is a it is a hard one, you know. I'd say ma- managers are kind of you know, they're very kind of cautious at the moment. They don't want to be going too well, they don't want to be going too bad. If they are going too well, can they maintain it? So, you know, it's all a balancing act and you know, you really don't know until you've two or three games in, in the Monster and Leicester Championships under your belt to say well, this actually worked or, or things like that. So, you know, it is a very hard one. And um, Does it take from the prestige of the league? Possibly. Um, because I know when I was playing, it was, you know, it was such a brilliant competition and, you know, everyone was you know mad to win it. And then you had your kind of four, five, six, possibly even eight-week break to go to the first round of the Championship. But the turnaround is so, you know, it's so small. It's a couple of weeks. And um, I guess different teams have different kind of agendas and progress with regard to where they are.
1: It's uh, interesting reading Martin Brehany just in the in the Irish Independent this morning. Uh, Kevin, he's talking about the uh, the changing face of hurling scoring over the over the years and over the decades. The average total of points per championship game just on the way up, and the number of goals per game just on the way down. You're seeing these high scoring games even last weekend in the league. I think he's making the point of the average. The average scores were were very very high, uh, in terms of ball going over the bar. Like, have you noticed anything that that needs to be changed in the game? Martin is making in points here. You know, sh- asking questions essentially. Should the ball be heavier? Should the value of goals be increased to four or even five points to encourage more of them? Like, is there anything the game needs to to? I guess get rid of that just shootout that 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 we've seen in, in hurting hurling recently.
8: Yeah, yeah. Look, you know, I, I suppose players are so good and comfortable on the ball nowadays, and. The slitter is definitely a little bit lighter. Yeah, I would love to see a little bit more kind of, particularly high balls going into danger areas in around, you know, the, the D or the uh, the edge of the square and, and, you know, more goals, you know, more goals being created and things like that. At the moment, it's just a lot of teams are, obviously say, uh, they're, they're putting their players out the field. They're, I won't say blanket defensive, but they're, you know, that middle third is fairly congested. And every team seems to be working on just breaking that line I'm being comfortable with taking their score from 40, 50 meters out. Look, players in intercounty level nowadays, that's a walk in the park for a lot of them. You know, I know there was a lot of wides in the Kilkenny Tipperary game. Again, it could be an adjustment to the ball, but is the ball too light? Um, I'm not so sure. I just think that I, I just think that the the quality of the players striking has just increased so much. Um, and I, I do agree, though, I would love to see kind of more goal opportunities coming, you know, putting that ball into in, in, into the edge of the square, seeing a lot more kind of, you know, aerial and jewels and, and and feeling and things like that. I think that's something that we all long for. But, you know, the game is constantly evolving, um, you know, going from sweepers to running games to all about tackling. You know, who's to say you won't see a kind of different... A different approach to a team this year. I, I did notice Ballyhale Hale this year with the in the All Ireland club, like they're just a real, you know, A to B type of hurling team, really putting the ball into to danger positions and you know creating a lot of goal opportunities. So, and um, you know, some some teams might do it, some teams won't. I, I do think Limerick have changed a little bit this year in their approach uh, Tipperary, You can see what they're trying. Again, Cork are just you know an awful lot of shooters out the field. And, and Warford could be, you know, possibly the same. But uh, look, we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, we—I think we'd all love to see two, two or three more goals and maybe, you know, seven, or eight less points. I think it, it, it bring a, a far more exciting spectacle to it.
1: Finally, for me, Kevin, uh, how do you see the the season playing out? And I, well, I guess how do you stop Limerick is the question.
8: Yeah, look, yeah, that's a big question. Like, look, there is a there is a possibility that it could be even better and stronger than last year, and. Um, I was very impressed with them their first two league games this year. I know Cork got the better of them in the end, but they just seem so comfortable with what they're doing. Um they're you know, they're coached absolutely excellently. They're very comfortable on the ball. And I just think when it comes to it, you know, in all Ireland semi-finals and finals and it's going down the stretch, I do think they have such composure and confidence in what in, in what has worked for them. But look, the chasing pack, I think everyone knows you know, the chase of packs impossible to say he was number two, three, four, you know, it could change from week to week. But I do think there is a gap. Hopefully that gap will close and um someone like Warford might get a chance to dethrone them. But at the moment, look, you, you would have to say there's it's going to take a monumental effort from some team to to um to bring down Limerick. They're they're flying on oil cylinders, they're getting, you know, hurlers of the years, all stars back from last year who weren't even playing. You know, there doesn't seem to be any complacency. They're bringing in younger players who can just fit in. And um, look, it looks a little bit honest, but um, look, we'll see. Sport is, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen and hopefully it'll lead to, you know, a really good Hurling Championship. But um, at this moment in time, I would have to say Limerick are really going to be difficult to stop.
1: Kevin, great to catch up as always. Thanks a million.
8: Yeah, thanks very much for having
1: me on. Brilliant, Kevin Moore in there. The former former Waterford Hurler, two-time All-Star as well. Uh, of course, looking ahead to the Fitzgibbon Cup, uh, semi-finals and finals in the Electric Ireland Fitzgibbon Cup this weekend. Uh, Nathan, we, we only briefly touched on, it, I think, with with John Duggan earlier, but Obafemi and Robinson on the score sheet last night. I mean, it's, it's not a bad time for them to start scoring. Uh, no,
3: because it's probably two from Robinson, Obafemi and Ferguson that will start against France. You'd have to imagine Jason Knight will play as say one of the front three but actually playing a little bit deeper than that like Callum Robinson's playing a struggling card of team uh, hadn't scored since before Christmas I think he'd gone eight games without a goal missed mm-hmm. a penalty recently enough so he needed something to get him going Obafemi's going to be interesting because Burnley are obviously absolutely flying they're heading back to the Premier League Uh, you can't imagine Vincent Kompany's going to make huge changes to his team between now and the end of the season when they're playing so well and Ashley Barnes leads the line for them and Michael Obafemi is a a very different man uh, size-wise certainly from an Ashley Barnes so I wonder is there a possibility he plays him a bit deeper if he is to get some game time, which again may not be the worst thing for Ireland. Or maybe he'll just have to put up with being a bench option for the remainder of this season, hope there's some injuries and get himself in a place where at the start of next season he can push for a place in a, in a Premier League side, which would be brilliant. But it was a great poachers goal last night, obviously maintained their unbeaten run, they didn't maintain their winning run, but... Yeah, Obafemi he has he has a little bit of an X factor about him. Yeah. He's just lacked any sort of consistency at club level of you know, he comes in, makes a big impression and then it just struggles to keep it going. Who, who's
1: starting for you at the moment up front for Ireland against France? I know it's a what, five, six weeks away still, but uh,
3: Ferguson anyways, and if you could find a way of getting Ferguson and Obafemi together, I would I would go with the two of them. I think they're probably well ahead of Paris. That's exciting when you
1: say that loud, isn't it? It yeah, is, it is. Excited? But
3: I, absolutely, we're getting too excited. Like, we're talking about Michael Obafemi on the bench for a championship side, yeah. going up against <laughs> uh, Rafael Varane. Well, not anymore. He's retired. sorry. Up against Obafemi and Canate or something along that, if yeah. Canate is not injured. But yeah, I think it definitely feels like a more exciting period for young Irish strikers, but they have to actually go and do it on a consistent period. Like, we've been waiting for Michael Obafemi for four years at this stage to really do it consistently at club level he scored some brilliant goals for Ireland internationally
1: but again mm. stay fit get a run of games let's see where we are in a few months time yeah exciting jeez I can't wait I, I, I know we're starting the build up quite early but I mean we're already talking about the Rugby World Cup later this year so and the Women's World Cup as well in, in Australia so let us let us enjoy it let us start it Nathan great stuff as always this morning thanks a million O2BM uh, sure, sure. brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day on tomorrow's show we'll have Graeme Hunter we'll have Jasmine Baba's tactical breakdown of Arsenal Man City as we said tonight at the Emirates half past seven kickoff for of that game Sue Ronan will be our latest guest on our. You Had To Be There and plenty more besides right now we'll bring you Dan McDonald from last night's football show and uh, I was hoping this would be a godfather quote but uh, Colm has provided me with this quote to leave you with for the rest of your Wednesday if you can achieve just one thing just one thing today can it be that you all have an amazing day thanks Emil see you tomorrow OTB AM